Hello and welcome to JBL Radio, a special colluders edition. Once again, I am your co-host, Michael Miller, otherwise known as RKG, General Manager of the Pittsburgh Vipers. And with me, as always, is my other colluder, my friend, yours and yours only, Andrew Taylor, otherwise known as Bedouin General Manager of the Baltimore Bullets. Good evening, Andrew. Good morning, Andrew. Oh, good morning. And good evening, Mark. See, oh, you I, fell back into routine. You messed it up. Well, I, I listened back to the podcast. You have to realize I'm always very slow and measured when I do my introduction because I have to try to remember if it's evening for you or morning for you. And here I just fucked it up already at the beginning of the pod. So we're off to a great start. So what are we talking about tonight? We are talking about the 2023 draft class and specifically looking back and seeing who we would change our draft picks now that we know in hindsight how they have developed. So I'm going to start the pod by giving a little bit of an introduction uh, as to these redraftables, a little bit of an introduction into the 2022 CJBL season. And we'll jump in and we'll talk about the picks. Andrew will kind of give his memory and his recollection about uh, how that draft went. I could give my own recollection as well. Um, this pod, the uh, 2023 draft, I, we did go live, but that was before we had or used Zoom. So I think I just recorded solo by myself, just kind of talking into the void for about two hours. And I couldn't, find, I couldn't find it on Twitter. And that's where, before we went to Zoom, we kind of posted everything on Twitter that we had recorded on the uh, JBL Radio Twitter feed. Couldn't find it, so couldn't listen back to it. But I have a pretty good memory of what went down during that draft. Um, in general, and, and why, why are we doing this as a podcast? I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, but if you search the uh, archives on the JBL, I did a redraft for the 2021 draft and the 2022 draft. Um, the 2022 draft took me legitimately like two months to do just because I kept getting distracted and kept falling made down. Calvin, you made Calvin look efficient. I made Calvin look efficient, yes. So I started to write out the 2023 draft, and I was like, this is going to take me forever. I don't like writing anymore. This is why I have associates to do all of my writing, you know, in terms of my legal career. So I could just review and critique their writing, but not actually write anything. So I'm tired of writing. So you know what? <clears throat> I have a podcast. I have a podcast friend. Uh, and why not just throw it into a podcast method? So that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, <clears throat> so to get and talk about the 2022 CJBL season. So, and as a reminder, the season before was the season of trend in Knox when Arizona won the national championship over Cincinnati. So 2022 was basically somewhat wide open. The early favorite was Louisville because they had Keon Barber, who was a potential lottery pick in the 2021 draft, decide to come back to the uh, Cardinal to come and play with his best friend, his butt buddy, Juwan J. Train Hughes, who, has we, as we know, is the son of Lionel Hughes, who is a JBL legend. Linton. So, Juwan, go ahead. It's Linton Hughes. Is it Linton Hughes? See, just go with Just go with the L train. It's easier, and you won't fuck it up. There we go. So with the L train. So we have the J train and the L train. So the J train joined with Keon Barber with Louisville. How did Louisville do with those two players basically leading the way? They finished 22-12 and 12 and lost to UConn in the Elite Eight. Uh, they played in the CJBL tournament. Now, this was before we had a learned committee who actually separated the seeds. It was uh, the, the uh, Louisville had to play in the tournament. Uh, 
North Carolina in the second round, and then Georgetown in the Sweet 16 before falling to UConn in the Elite Eight. So anyone who complains about having a murderer's row this year in the college JBL tournament uh, could feel pretty good considering what Louisville had to go through. Another pretty interesting team in that season was North Carolina, who signed Isaiah Evans, who had averaged 38 points per game, including 47% from beyond the arc in high school. UNC with Evans finished 24-9, best in the ACC, but they fell to Louisville in the second round of the CJBL tournament. For most of the season, um, Hughes and Evans basically went back and forth for the top overall projected pick in the draft. Both were considered to be potential franchise players. Juwan Hughes with his, his lineage, with the L train, and Isaiah Evans just being an insane three-point shooter. Meanwhile, however, perhaps probably the best team in the uh, CJBL that season was Duke, who somehow ended up with both Xavion West and Raphael Williams II as wings. Um, and UConn, who actually won the national championship, had Donovan Mobley, but also returned several other players, including Deshaun Hawkins, Shea Ramolt, and Ellis Neely, who would later make appearances on JBL rosters. And lastly, another team that really did quite well in the CJBL that season was Memphis, who had Sean, K uh, Sean Green, Omari Kamga, and Quan Singalia. That Memphis team finished 23-5, best in the AAC, and lost, to elite, lost in the Elite Eight to Duke. So the final four that we had from that CJBL season was UConn, Duke, Villanova, and USC. UConn won over Duke 87-84 in overtime for the national championship. RW2 had a clutch three to send it to overtime. But then, uh, and even though UConn won, probably for casting his struggles in the JBL, Donovan Mobley went 5-22 with 12 rebounds and six assists in the championship game. The leading scorer in the CJBL that season was Josiah Robinson. Uh, 26 three points per game, still serving his sentence at Air Force for murdering a guy in his high school career. Uh, he was followed by Isaiah Evans, who led all draft-eligible players to 23 points per game, and then Marquise Walton of Georgetown, who had 21.7 points per game. Also, those three finished uh, tops in PER for that season. Hughes, meanwhile, uh, uh, J-Train, while declaring for the draft, averaged 16.5 points per game, and Isaiah Evans, part of the reason that he really did not, he had high efficiency numbers, but not the overall total production, he missed about nine games due to injury. So that's kind of your background for the college JBL season. And as it ended up, the J train was considered to be the top overall prospect with Isaiah Evans basically nipping at his heels. So as the JBL season concluded, the Charlotte Drones, who basically were kind of forgotten and left behind by an inattentive general manager. Um, this was not David. David, uh, DG, came in and replaced that uh, general manager, and I can't even remember who that person was. But uh, do, you, was, do you remember? It was, Gob it was Gobo who had uh, taken over the team when they uh, during expansion and then uh, drafted Anthony, and then I think he disappeared somewhere through the 22 season. Anthony and Josiah teamed up and killed him and hid the body. So, in any event, he, he abandoned his team. DG came in, and uh, the Drones had won the lottery that year. And if I remember correctly, I think this was the last season where there were slotted draft picks, or am, am I wrong about that from expansion? Do you remember that, Andrew? Uh, no, the draft picks were only slotted for 21 and 22. So, so you, had, you had a high and a low or two mediums across that two-year run. 
Okay, but I, I don't think the 2023 lottery used the lottery odds we have today because I think those... Uh, no, uh, it, used, it used the old-style NBA ones, which were more heavily weighted towards shit teams, and then I think it changed as of the 25 draft, I want to say. Right, and I believe the two, the two primary shit teams that year were the Charlotte Drones and the Baltimore Bullets, who happened to go one and two. I think actually Baltimore, though, had – did Baltimore have the worst record or the second worst record? Baltimore had the worst record, and I remember distinctly – I was bitching about how this was going to be backfire on me and I was going to end up with, like, number five. And I remember I finished a shift at work, and I jumped into my car, and I'd been counting tills, so I hadn't had a chance to look in my car, at my phone. And literally, I opened my phone, and basically that was just as uh, Kamish was unveiling the draft picks, and I ended up with pick two, and I had like a little celebratory dance in my car, and the other staff member I closed with just stared at me really fucking weirdly. (laughs) Hey, you know, it's uh, you got to celebrate when you can. And, you know, of course, if he knew what you won, he would have been really excited for you as well, I'm sure. So, um, but in any event, Charlotte got the first overall pick in that lottery, and they had an, an interesting decision to make because uh, I don't know when or where, but uh, DG decided he did not want to keep the number one overall pick. And I don't know how many suitors he had, but I know quite well there were at least two. I think Baltimore was one, and um, the other one was Mexico City. And uh, eventually, uh, the Charlotte Drones took the Mexico City package, which was the number one overall pick for the number five, the number 14 overall picks in this draft, the 2024 Mexico City first round pick, and the 2025 Mexico City second round pick, and Jordan Karstensen. So Mexico City ended up with Juwan Hughes at that first overall pick. And kind of how it went for Mexico City and Juwan Hughes is somewhat interesting and worthy to talk about. So the Jaguars started off very well, and uh, they actually made it all the way to the conference finals, I believe, in Juwan Hughes' rookie season. And, um, and he, he you know, played as a rookie. He also had his father mentoring him, so he got to play with his father for a little bit, which is a little bit of interesting JBL uh, trivia. Um, but eventually, things turned pretty sour at Mexico City, and he was dealt to, uh, he was dealt, uh, to Boston where he has spent most of his career since then. And Juwan Hughes, made, he's made three all-star teams. I think you would say right now that he, if the draft was to re-go again, would be the first overall pick again. What are your thoughts about his career so far? Which one? About Hughes? Yes. Um, look, I think his career has kind of had this, this multiple, this kind of been two phases. I think there was the first phase where he was drafted by the drafted by the Jags and kind of fit into a, a kind of existing team um, that he was a complementary piece on. They already had Adams, they already had Hooker, they already had Vega in place. For the life of me, I cannot remember who their power forward was. Might have been Odiambo back then. I yeah, I think it was Odiambo. Anyway, so but like they had a very you know a, a kind of built lineup, and he kind of had you know. A, not minimal responsibility, but not a high degree of responsibility on him. And although he would ultimately take a much more assertive role in the playoffs later that season, as they made their, you know, Cinderella run to the finals, um, he, he didn't have that big role. And then there was his second phase. uh, Once the jazz kind of sent some players off and, and made some moves where he was the centerpiece of the team. And that 
didn't seem to work. And I think that was a surprise to most of us. I think that, like, yes, we didn't think the Jags were going to necessarily be a finals team again once they had moved some pieces around. But I think there was a view that J-Train was, you know, after that finals run was the next big thing and was ready to be a alpha on team quite early. And that Jags version with him as the centerpiece didn't really work. Uh, and I and I and I think this this alpha phase of J Train. I mean, it has it has it. I'm not sure we can give it a passing mark yet. Like even in, even the Crusaders iteration now, I'm still not sure we can say it has worked. Well, and it is interesting because it looks like the the big difference or the big issue was for some reason um, Grunter had traded Khalil Hooker to Boston. Um, between the 2026-2027 season. And without that anchor, really the Jaguars tanked. Um, in 2026, which was the last year Hughes was on the uh, Jaguars, they went 35-47. and 47. And that was uh, the year that they tried to get by with, um, with James Spencer, who is a pretty good player, who is now, ironically, if I'm knowing this correctly, isn't he on the uh, Crusaders now? Who is Spencer? Yes, he is. Yes. So, but in any event, for, for whatever reason, Grunter decided it didn't work. And then um, Hughes was dealt uh, along with, let me get the actual, the, the trade details. So the Crusaders traded Khalil Hooker along with the 2028 Jailbirds first round pick, 2028 Renegades first round pick, and the 2028 Thunder first round pick for Juwan Hughes and Vlado Dvorak. Um, I'm not sure any of those first round picks really amounted to anything significant for the uh for the jaguars they are all non-lottery and khalil hooker was already on the move again not too long after the jaguars reacquired him so uh it, it is kind of interesting that that trade happened and of course what happened after that um is uh this past year Juwan hughes had a 20 cl and missed about 30 games but still did well enough to make the all-star team and he's actually looked pretty well as the year went on So the question is, I mean, how do we forecast him moving forward? Is he now ready to take that lead role on the Crusaders team and lead them to a playoff berth next year? Well, I think the interesting thing with with, uh, J-Train is I think what we saw the the year where he was the alpha in uh, Mexico City and particularly last year in, um, in Boston was this just stupid level of usage. You know, we had like the um, in 26 and 27, so that's the last Jag season and the first Crusaders season. You know, we had him doing, you know, Vandenberg esque shooting numbers, you know, 23 shots a game, 24 shots a game. Um, I didn't personally vote him for the All Star. Um, I think I probably would have if he hadn't gotten injured. Um, but what is quite phenomenal is that, you know, this year it's the efficiency difference. Like, He's just, he's, you know, he had almost four turnovers a game in his last year at the Jags. Last year, he had almost five at the Crusaders. This year, he's taking three less shots a game. He's got a turnover and a half less. You know, he's just, there's a, I I tend to think of players like, you know, with usage, there is kind of an optimal point of usage for a player. And yes, you can push a player to a higher level of usage artificially. Uh, and they will take more shots and they will score more points. But you, you get well and truly into the case of diminishing returns. And I think in every situation until this year where Hughes has been the alpha, 
um, he has well and truly been in that diminishing returns point. And I think this is the first year where we look at, we can look at it and say, you know what? I actually think he's pretty well cast in the role he's in now. Yeah. So it, I, I'm quite, I'm quite bullish on him moving forward. Yeah. So, and we'll talk about the drones in a little bit when we get to the fifth overall pick, but in general, if we were redrafting and Mexico city had the pick again, I still think they'd go Juwan Hughes. I think he's proved himself to be the best player on the board with still the highest potential. It's been a little bit star-crossed to date, but he's still young enough and um, a trade and having to play with an entirely different team um, basically could explain a significant reason why he hasn't taken that next step. But he's made three all-star teams already and seems to be on a general upward trajectory. And I think, I think right now it's pretty safe to argue that he is the highest upside still of anyone in this class. Oh yeah, he's only twenty four. Like he is, he has not peaked yet, and you know. Now, and then also you've got to factor in, you know, he's playing with people he still has no, um, no real chemistry with. Like there's still a lot of new place pieces on that team this year versus even last year. You know, with Rucker and stuff being added, and you know, I think that next year, you know, you also given that given that that cohesion piece comes into play with turnovers and stuff, I wouldn't even be shocked if he can drop under three turnovers a game next year, along with whatever else happens. So once he gets to that point, you're in a really rare air. Yeah. So to move on to the next pick, which was owned by the Baltimore Bullets, the Baltimore Bullets selected Isaiah Evans in what was considered strongly a two-player draft, and they got one of the two players. So they're pretty much considered the winners. But Isaiah did not end up in Baltimore for long. And he eventually was dealt in a package which netted the Bullets, uh, Dante Souter, and eventually netted them a championship. So I thought I'd turn it over to you and kind of give, you could give your thoughts about Evans, what you liked about him, what you didn't. Um, could talk about, you know, the, the trade with Austin and what are your general thoughts about him? Okay, so I, I was one of the suitors that was trying to get the number one pick in this draft. I was seeing, I was, I was very much... I had Juwan Hughes and Evans as a 1A, 1B. Um, if I had been forced at gunpoint to choose, I probably would have taken J-Train first, only because I think he was a more an easier player to build around, whereas I think Evans was always going to be a slightly more challenging player to build around because of his ball dominance and because traditionally there aren't too many point guard-led championship teams in the history of this league. Um but I was trying to get my hands on both one at pick one and two. Uh, I was happy to kind of build with both. Um, what was happening in the background at the same time is that I was having a conversation uh, with Comey about um, Aaron Honeycutt. And that part of that was like, could I get Honeycutt and then include him in a trade to get my hands on J train? Uh, and part of that was, well, that will get me a small. That will get me an, another veteran wing who I can put with, um, who I can put with Goodwin on the wing, and then that would be under control. And then I'd have Evans at point guard. That's ultimately what ended up happening. Um, and then over the next period of time, I was able to kind of build out the rest of my roster. Uh, and it became clear after. The second, the first season, I was actually pretty happy with Evans uh, in his rookie year. He averaged just under 16 points a game, seven assists, two and a half turnovers. Uh, the second year, he came back, shot a shot under 500 effective field goal, 
and he only just slightly increased his points. His assists decreased, his turnovers went up. Um, it was just really hard to find the balance of, you know, do I put him as primary playmaker or do I put him as primary scorer? What happens if I do both? And I was, I was kind of tinkering back and forth and I just couldn't find a, a alignment that was made me comfortable moving forward. Um, so whilst I was still quite bullish on him, uh, I decided to ultimately move him and Honeycutt to get my hands on the Rockets' first pick. Uh, and then I believe I traded down to the second pick uh, to get uh, Lane off you, so to give you your guaranteed chance at Lane, knowing that everyone knew you were going to be psychotic and give Lane the first pick. Uh, I was then able to go to Lucas, who wanted Walcott, and say, look, I've got pick two for you. It may as well be pick one because RKG is fucking obsessed. Uh, he's like Mark Wahlberg in fear at this point. And, um, and that allowed me to get my hands on Souter. That obviously then led me to a championship relatively, comfort- uh, relatively quickly. I guess for me, it was, I had, I had already, I already had DeAndre Morgan, who I quite liked and who had done reasonably well in a, in a starting role prior to Evans. Trash. Uh, yeah. Well, that's not my fault. He hasn't worked for you. He's looked, de- he looked, he's looked decent in other places. Um, but look, I think that ultimately the, it became clear as I acquired other players that, and the cash situation was going to start to pinch me that it made more sense for me to, commit to a shorter window build uh, and Evans, I just didn't think was going to make it there in time. Remember, we're talking about players who are still 24 years old. I still don't think Evans is at his peak. Um, There are probably, for me, there there is one issue with his game that needs to be rectified uh, and that is simply his turnovers are too high. The rest of it, I don't have a huge concern about and I think he just needs to be surrounded with particular types of players. And I don't think that the Rockets in particular have, have fully succeeded at that yet. Um, but I'm still generally reasonably bullish on Evans. He just didn't fit what I was going to do. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's interesting. The Rockets need to go back and figure out what they had back in, in 2025, his first year. He shot 49.1% from beyond the arc on 6.8 attempts. Average 22.6 points per game, and his turnovers were 3.29. Um, not coincidentally, his usage was 29.6, and since then it's been ratcheted up to 33.4, to 30.7, to 37.9. No, no, player, sh- no player should have a usage over 30 is my general attitude. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think, I mean, I agree with you. Probably more than any other player, Evans has the best pure shooting potential of likely any other player. Um, I mean, I'm trying to remember. I can look at his achievements and see. He won the three-point contest in 2025 and most recently this year in 2028 at All-Star Weekend. He's just a, a knockdown three-point shooter in a league where that's very important. Um, and even though there's concerns about his turnovers, you can work with that. His defense isn't the greatest, but he's got nice size at six foot four, six foot seven. He's still, in my mind, a franchise player. But I think that the uh, the Rockets are not putting him in the best position to succeed. Nevertheless, I did have you taking a different player uh, in the in the redraft. In the redraft, I have you taking Xavion West um, with the second with the second overall pick. So. Well, I, I- 
I remember being quite strident. Uh, um, this is my recollection. I could be wrong, but I remember being quite strident that I thought the player you're going to give me was definitely the best wing in the class. Yeah. Apart from well, and I, well, and I, and this is a good segue to talk about this class in general, because even though it was considered a top two class in Hughes and Evans, those three wings that I'm talking about, RW2, um, Xavion West, and Donovan Mobley, uh, I think they, they, we were all very high on their potential. And um, I look back at some of the articles that, because we, we did a written mock draft together, and I think that you had West above the other two. I think you had it West, Mobley, and RW2, if I remember correctly. I had it uh, Mobley, Mobley, West, and RW2. The concern with RW2 was the shooting at that time. Um, and he wasn't the best all-around defender. I think we were both on point that West was going to be a very good defender. I don't think we saw the offensive versatility he was going to have. Yeah, no, I think it, the, the rationale for me was uh, at that time was that Mobley was by far the most, you know, one of the best athletic specimens that had come into the league in quite some time, but had a, a rawness to his game uh, that could take a while to develop. You know, the shooting is exactly the, still the concern that it has become through his career was a concern actually now now he's shooting all right now it's just turnovers but like the shooting was an issue and we saw that in the in his final cjbl game as well and the one added the, the attitude i had with west was if i looked at west versus rw2 and mobley i was confident that i would absolutely bet money that west was going to be a really good defender in the jbl he may not come along offensively May may he may do that may not, but I thought he was like the best defensive prospect since Griffin, as a wing player, and I think that to a degree has probably borne out reasonably accurately. I think that the the triple double potential is the part that we didn't see coming. Yeah, and I think West is a good moral to be patient with younger players because you look at Xavier West, his first three years he didn't shoot uh, very well from beyond the arc. And he didn't even top 32% in any of those three seasons. Um, he did average a good amount of rebounds during that time. He averaged seven rebounds and uh, five assists or over in those first couple of seasons, but he didn't really have that extra offensive gear that you expected. It took his fourth season. He finally started hitting better from beyond the arc. He hit 38.7, but he really blew up in his fifth season in 2027. That's when his PER shot up to 22.8. 10.7 EWA, 10.5 win shares, and made the third team all JBL. I think but he's not actually an all-star, gonna... but not an all-star. Not an all-star. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to go there. You decided <laughs> to go there. Oh, fuck uh, it. I'm always going to go there. I, I think he's the first uh, player in this class to make an all JBL team. I don't think Juwan Hughes, I could probably look at that very quickly. Uh, I could tell you that Isaiah Evans is not, and I'll look into... Um, I'll look into J train, but I'm going to pretty much presume he is. I don't remember offhand him making an all JBL team. So uh, Xavion West, the first player to make an all JBL team from this class. So that's why I gave him to you at the second pick. Yeah. Look, if I had not ended up with, if I had not ended up with Honeycutt and I believe Honeycutt, I was, was kind of a 50, 50 proposition uh, that would have been more in play, but I, I, I wasn't, if it wasn't J Train, I, I made it made more sense for me to take the point guard because I I thought that Honeycut decision hadn't quite died, um, 
I was a little surprised that I ended up executing that Honeycut trade mid-draft because I was at work that day and I ended up doing like three trades during that draft whilst I was at work. It was kind of ridiculous. Um, but I, I, I certainly thought that Honeycut was a small possibility of proceeding and I, and I know that factored into my decision-making not to take one of the wings. Yeah. So at, at least right now at this point, um, even though Evan still has a lot of potential, I think that West would be second if we were to redraft this. Moving on to the third pick, which was the Minneapolis Blizzards. Now they took Donovan Mobley, who um, was hyper-athletic, averaged a triple-double in high school, led UConn to the national championship, although he played like shit in the national championship game. So he comes into the league, and he, unlike the first two players we just talked about, uh, Evans and Hughes, Mobley has been drafted by Minneapolis and has stayed with Minneapolis. And um, basically, his, he has shown improvement every year. Um, this year, he is scoring career bests with 26.8 points per game, 4.6 rebounds per game, 4.3 assists per game. For a Blizzards team that, while may not be a contender necessarily, is still likely going to make the playoffs. Uh, he is 25 years old. The Blizzards are 46 and 30 this year. Um, Mobley has won three dunk contests in the all in the All Star Award, but has not made any All Star appearances otherwise, and no All GBL teams. Uh, the big issue with him that seems to be kind of his bugaboo is is shooting. Um, he had one year in 2025 where he did shoot over 40% from beyond the arc, but otherwise he's a 34.8% shooter. Additionally, he's a little bit undersized at six foot six for a shooting guard, small forward. So the question is, he's not really the best kind of shooter for a shooting guard and doesn't really have the size you'd want for a small forward. And, um, I think that's made him a little bit of a tweener and why he hasn't really broken out. Uh, he's been a very above average player. But I don't think he's really been like an all-star or reached the paths of other players that we've talked about so far uh, on this draft in this class. Well, I think that he has. I th I view his issues similarly to you. At six ten, his wingspan isn't horrendous for a shooting guard. It's probably slightly under for a small forward. He's, he hasn't got the three-point shot down, but I also note that if you look at the, you know, the year that you saw, highlighted as the one year he's broken 400, that was the last time he shot under four a game as well. So on sensible, you know, moderate volume, he can hit them reasonably well. This season, he's taking seven. That's probably too many for a player like that. Um, I think the biggest issue of the game, and it's the one career best uh, stat that jumps out at me the most on his turn, uh, on his uh, stat line this year, is his career best in turnovers at four point one eight. You know, we were talking about uh, the optimal level of usage uh, prior to this season. Uh, last season was the first season he'd averaged over twenty a game. He was just under the thirty percent uh, usage mark. This year, he's at thirty five point four. That's just it's too much. Like, I mean, if if you're yeah, if, if you're going to play seven seconds or less and you're going to put your usage on over 30% of any player, you're going to have a bad time. Like, <laughs> you know? just, it's going to get crazy. They're going to jack up a truckload of shots. They're going to turn the ball over. And, and, and he is being used in too big a role. And I think that is just because that team doesn't have even the, even the iteration with the third max player in Slave before they traded him out and got Ash. That team doesn't have a third scorer. Yeah. Uh, and when you don't have a third scorer, you end up with a situation where 
one or both of your two scorers uses the ball too damn much. And, well, and that's what you've got this year. And, and for all of Mobley's career, he hadn't played with a traditional point guard. He played with uh, Dillian Slay, who um, is a very good point guard, I think has really good potential, really nice size, good ball handler, good playmaker, but he's not a shooter. And especially if you're playing seven seconds or less, I don't think you could really do that with a backcourt, neither of whom shoots particularly well. I think you need to at least have one shooter there. Well, my other question would be, do you think the fact that, you know, and we had this conversation with, um, you know, dual center front courts affecting wing players spacing. It's entirely possible that the fact that Slay didn't need a genuine man on him on the perimeter probably didn't help Mobley's shooting figures either. Yep. Exactly. So it's entirely possible that if Mobley isn't jacking seven a game next year and is at a, some, a somewhat more sensible number with a point guard who is a little bit more honest from, the, um, from outside, that could actually start to creep up back towards 400. And he's, he's not that far off being where he needs to be to be acceptable from three. He's just never going to be a, a gunner. But um, the one thing is, like at the end of the day, He's had. He's never had a season of five win shares a season. He's never hit a PER of twenty, and you know he's he's a good but not great player. There's no season where I've done my all star ballot and felt you know what, hard done by dude, hard done by. He's he's in the conversation every year. He always makes my short list, but he's always one of the people who's very easy to knock off the short list. Yep. So in, in the redraft, and um, tell me if you disagree with this, I put RW2 here, no Isaiah Evans for the third overall pick. I went with RW2. I think he has shown um, some nice two-way potential uh, at six foot eight on the uh, defensive end. He, he has had um, defensive win shares of above two for eight, four of the last six seasons. He's played on a Charlotte team that's been relatively mediocre um, he's never shot above 40% from beyond the arc, but he has averaged over 20 points per game over the last three seasons. Um, he's not really uh, he with high he has high usage, but a relatively low turnover rate. Um, he averaged less than three turnover turnovers per game the last two years. Um, what do you think about Rafael Williams here with the third overall pick? Are we doing it? Are we doing the redraft basically just on who is better or who is a better fit? Uh, I think, but I, I think with the benefit of hindsight, you're talking about who is better and also who is a better fit. Uh, that that's how I looked at this. If I was doing, and I won't reveal what you've got coming, uh, but there is a player who I think is better than R Dub Two, who you have lower, but he wouldn't be the fit. So if you basically, if you're basically saying Minneapolis's decision was we already have Galloway in the post, um, what we need is a is a wing and you limit the choice to the wing, then I think RW2 is the best of the remaining wings in this class. Right. As, as a fit next to Slay and Galloway, that was my thinking of why RW2 think, would go I here. The, I think the Blizzards, the ceiling that the Blizzards reached over the past, let's say, three years prior to this one, would have been slightly higher if it had been RW2 versus Mobley. Although I do, I do think that a two-point guard system with Evans and Slay kind of in the backcourt in a high-paced system, that would have some interesting, interesting play. But we'll never know. I think interesting is the right word. Interesting with air quotes. 
<laughs> All right, so let's move on. The, the fourth team, um, the team that the fourth overall pick in the 2023 draft was Boston. They took Xavion West, who is not available in this mock draft, in this, re, in this redraft. So I had them taking Zion Jeffries. Um, Jeffries, who eventually would be taken by the Rockets um, uh, at, the, uh, set, at the seventh overall pick. Jeffries has had uh, – he just got traded this year, but he's had a pretty interesting career. I think you and I were both very high on him. I think we both really kind of like the, the lottery in this draft in general. We like kind of the top 10 to 12 picks, and we've kind of been proven out by that. Um, Jeffries has not yet broken through to really be that kind of all-star talent. He did make the all-rookie second team his first year. Um, he's been a stretch four, and uh, – he did start to become a consistent shooter around his fourth season in the league. He shot 41.2% from beyond the arc in 2026 um, and has kind of hovered around there despite the Rockets making a ton of moves. Um, he was traded this year to the Dallas Predators in a deal that involved Terrell Sanford. And since being traded to the Predators has really found a nice fit next to Stackhouse, averaging 18.8 points per game, 8.1 rebounds per game. I believe you actually had him on your all-star ballot in the Western Conference, despite only playing at that point uh, 20-some-odd games with the Predators. Yeah, so what only are your played, thoughts on Jeffries? Yeah, he'd only played 27 games at that point. Uh, but in his time at the Predators, I think what, we've, what I like about his time at the Predators so far is I think he's finally at the right level of usage. Um. So he's recorded 3.1 win shares in the 50 games. So he's probably, he's on track. He was on track combined. He'll hit five win shares this season. Um, the thing I like about Jeffries is that he is a true stretch four, and there are just not many of those. So the player type he is, is highly valuable. He is not a player who turns the ball over a heap. Um, he's averaged basically too flat for his career. Um, even while playing in up-tempo systems. He, he gets you almost two blocks. He shoots well from the free-throw line. He's great from the... He's great from three. Um, I just think... And, you know, and, I, and I think I said this when I was talking about voting him in the All-Star. I think that he has been underutilized in the Rocket system just because of the ball dominance that you've seen out of Evans the last couple of years. I think he was kind of lost in the shuffle. Um and what I've really enjoyed since he got to the Predators is, you know, he's starting to creep up to where I think he should be in terms of usage. He's just, he's at 26 and a half, just over, a little over his share. You know, he's getting closer to 16 shots a game. He's having, he's shooting the most shots a game he's ever shot uh, right now at the, at the Predators at 15.8. And I think that's probably that, you know, 16, 17 mark is probably where I'd want him to be as like a co-second option kind of thing. Yeah. I, I mean, from the Predators perspective, I don't know if, um, I, I mean, well, and I, I want to talk about this actually from a Boston perspective, not a Dallas perspective. If Boston had taken Zion here instead of Xavion West and put uh, Jeffries next to Devon Harrell and maybe even played Jeffries at the five, because that was an issue with those Boston teams is they had a really poor, porous front court uh, for a lot of the time Harrell was there that would have been, I think, such an interesting fit together with those two together um, if they had a chance to play together. Um, that was kind of my thinking there. And like you had said, I do think that Jeffries was somewhat underutilized on that Austin, on, in Austin. 
uh, because uh, Isaiah Evans took a lot of the ball. I think now with Dallas and um, playing with Stackhouse and, and really kind of being a, a second option or even a third option, depending on how Acosta develops, is a really good fit for him. And having a backcourt that just kind of distributes the ball and takes threes. Um, I'll, I'll be really interested. Who, did, who did the Crusaders take in the following draft? They took uh, Dominic Lockhart with okay, the seventh that's overall what, pick. That's what I thought it was. Who were the wings in that draft? Uh, so, uh, they actually left Marcus Price. Uh, they, they did not take Marcus Price. Marcus know. Price was that still there. But who, um, who, were the, who were the true wings? Because I don't think Price is necessarily a true Ad, wing. Adam Vanderberg was there and Kyle Henriquez were there. Those were the next two that, that were available at Boston's pick. Okay. Because so in, in yeah. hindsight, then, I think it's fair to say that they made the right choice going wing first and then front court. Yeah, like I if, mean, they, if they had chosen what I'm, what I'm, I'm just saying, independent of independent of who is the better player, like in hindsight, based on the wings that became available, the wings available the following year, I think they probably made the right choice on the whole to choose to go for the wing in that's in this class and then deal with the front court next time because they were always going to be shit. They were always looking at a lottery pick the next year. They were a, a crappy team that was building up. Um. So the fact that they went in that sequence probably long-term was better, I would argue. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think Henriquez, if you had Jeffries, I think Henriquez would have fit here pretty well. I don't think Vandenberg would have fit pretty well. Um, I think Price would have been really interesting, presuming that you, if you did take West in this, in this draft, um, and having West, Price, and Harrell on the same team, that'd be pretty, pretty sexy. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I think no matter what, I don't think that um, – I think Boston, even though they, they still have Xavion West, he's still on their team, like Donovan Mobley. I, I think they were happy with how it played out because uh, I think West is the second-best player in this draft based on production to date. So uh, moving on to the fifth overall pick, which was Charlotte via the trade down. Um, they took Raphael Williams II, who we had already talked about. Before I get into and we talk about um, – who I would have them select in the redraft. Pretty interesting sliding doors here about what had hap- what would happen or have happened if Charlotte had just kept the pick and took Juwan Hughes versus what did happen. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of, because as we know, Charlotte traded down the, now what they got is they got the fifth pick, they got the 14th overall pick, which ended up, uh, they ended up trading, actually trading back to get additional players. The 2024 first round pick they got from Mexico City was 25th overall, and that was the immortal Godwin Gofly Kite, um, who, you know, decent rotation player at best. Uh, I think he's moved around a little bit. 2025 Mexico City second. I couldn't figure out where that went to and who that went, so I didn't look too much into it. And Jordan Carstensen, who was basically on his last legs. So I don't, in my opinion, I don't think Charlotte got enough really to have moved back from Juwan Hughes, even though they did end up with who I think is the third best player in this class and Rafael Williams at second. Yeah, look, I, I, I was trying to go back. That's one of the reasons why I asked you who I was meant to be assessing at the start, because I was trying to go back through my conversation thread with DG to find out what my final offer was. Because <laughs> I think at the time I felt that my offer was long-term the better play. Um, because uh, I think I think I gave him his pick the following year as well back or something like that. Anyway, but um, look, it 
it's not the most egregious trade that I've seen. Um, but at the same time, it's not the most guaranteed return trade. And that's, I mean, that's, but that's the risk when you start, you know, trading multiple future firsts and stuff like that. You, it's hard to know how good they're going to end up being, especially in a league where moves can happen so quickly. You know, witness Kyle's, uh, you know, st- you know, cascade of moves through the mid-season of this year. It's very easy for the fortunes of a team to change dramatically very quickly. So, you're buying a lottery ticket, but they have bad ticket. They have, like the lottery doesn't have good odds. Yeah, yeah, it's very risky when you buy, especially when it's not your own teams. When it's your own teams, you can kind of control your own fate, so to speak, but you can't control what other teams do. So you know, um, and obviously, not having your own pick for a lot of teams is not a disincentive to blow it up anyway, as we have seen. So uh, also, uh, it was just just for the record, just going back quickly to the Crusaders, the following year wasn't the Lockhart year. The following year was the J Rob trade draft. They ended up getting Kenyon Fuller the following year. Okay. And, and then, then the year after they got Dominic Lockhart. Yes, so correct. I but I, I but I would argue in hindsight that was probably the right play because there wasn't any wings of worth a damn available after that, really. Yeah, that that was a bad. The twenty twenty four draft was a pretty bad wing draft, if I remember. After um, after after Allen, after, San, after Greeley, Allen, and Sanford were got, and Benj, the first yep. four, the basically the four good wings went to through number three through number six, and then after that, I mean, I think you might give Grant Hayes at thirteen a a, a plus mark, a tick, and that's about it. Yeah, and 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 Fuller was a better prospect. I mean, he's still he's he's doing really well with the fireballs. His uh, he's actually played pretty well. But we'll we'll have time we'll we'll have time to do a twenty twenty four draft at some point. Um, so who did I have then Charlotte selecting in this redraft? And maybe if they'd taken this player, I don't know. Maybe I'd feel a little bit differently. Um, I had them taking Dominique Harmon, who uh, went all the way to number seventeen in this draft class. Now. Harmon is, in, in, another, again, another interesting case study. If there's anything that any listeners take away from this, it, it's probably two things. And we'll get to the second point a little bit later on. But the first point is don't judge a player on who he is based on his first three or four seasons. You know, You're, what you want to see is steady improvement, but players don't really start to peak until they hit five, six, and seven. They just don't. Um, and Harmon is basically a pretty good example of that, in my opinion. If you look at if you look at his his PER, it, it's gone. He he was always a decent player. He was a 17 PER his rookie year. This year he's basically broken through 24.2 PER, 11.7 EWA, um, 6.2 win shares, 7.3 win shares last year. He's become almost a real triple uh, triple threat player, playing alongside uh, Denzel Valentine, who really seemed to have unlocked him. Drake Valentine, um, Drake Valentine, you do it every time. It's Drake Valentine. Why do I have Denzel stuck in my head? Are you so be, because Calvin it, gave a shit? You're gonna it, you're it, gonna it, be it, locked in on all the correct names. Isn't there an NBA player called Denzel Valentine? Plays for Chicago or some shit. I think that's right. Or did I think that's, that's where you get it up? Well, look, at least I didn't call uh, Zion Jeffries the other Zion. So I've got that going for me, um, Zion Williamson. All right, but but to talk about Harmon, he aver- so he's averaging 22 points per game, 6.6 rebounds per game, 5.9 assists per game. Uh, I, I mean, arguably, he's probably been a better wing at where he is right now than even Mobley in RW2, and he has an argument to arguably go third in this class. Um, so really bullish on Harmon, and the Devils got a steal getting him in on the 17th overall pick. 
No, look, I think that if you look at the players we have available in the mock draft, in terms of, you know, I, I still think there's one player who has a higher star power kind of aspect to him, like franchise potential. But I think, I think it's fair to say that Harmon is probably the second best player that's left on the board if you're looking at, you know, backcourt and wing. So I think that's, I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I think Harmon has played really well. Um, again, the Devils consistently played him. They kind of let him do his foul-ups and found a good backcourt uh, combo with him and uh, Valentine, who I won't say his first name because I don't want to screw it up. But, um, yeah, I, I think Harmon has good trajectory. I think if he continues on this path, he will at least make a couple all-star te- uh, teams, I think, as the Devils get better uh, overall as a team, and he kind of has taken the lead there as the lead player. Um, I think that he's he's got I don't know if he's franchise material, but I think uh, he his ceiling is very good starter all star type potential, and you'd take that with the fifth overall pick if you're Charlotte. Yeah, if you're get, if you're getting a, if you're getting a, a you know a really good second banana type player uh, as your fifth pick, I think you've got to be happy with that. Yep. So the next team uh, that had the sixth overall pack pick is the New York Renegades. And this is kind of a little bit of a sad story as to how New York ended up with this pick. So the Pittsburgh Vipers, run by their general, former general manager, not me, traded its 2023 first-round pick to the New York Renegades for Frashan Lewis, um, who was a pretty good veteran wing at that time. But uh, basically, the Vipers traded what would eventually be the sixth overall pick in the class. Um, the Renegades took Omari Kamga with this pick who's had a relatively interesting career to date. Um, he got taken by the Renegades and was kind of jammed in a front court with Rashad Haslam. It really did not look like it was working out that well. Uh, Rich basically chose to send Haslam to Pittsburgh, ironically, um, and get Trayvon Miller, and, Tray- and but did not play Cam get the five, even though I remember multiple po- podcasts where, uh, Bed, you were screaming about uh, playing Kamga at the five, and the Miller-Kamga combo did not work out too well. Eventually, Kamga was dealt as part of a package for Taquan Slattery to the Atlanta Devils, who then packaged him off. Uh, the, that devil was Slattery and Con- Connor Maitland for Trayvon Miller, Omari Kamga, Courtney Parsons, and the 2029 Renegades first-round pick. Um, the Devils then eventually traded Kamga and Isaac and Isaac Foster to the Skyhawks for Donal Wallace, along with the 2028 Vipers first-round pick. 2028 Skyhawks first round pick and the 2031 Skyhawks second round pick. We were both pretty bullish on Skyhawks on, on Camgo when he went to the Skyhawks. We thought that he was going to play center pretty exclusively. He did not. Uh, he played center only 60% of the time, power forward 40% of the time. This year he's played center more, close to 80% of the time, but he has had to also be jumbled up with um, Omari Woodley and, uh, and, and uh, several other similar centers. Um, but nevertheless, Kamga is having his career best year this year, by all counts. 17.8 points per game, 7.8 rebounds per game. A 19 PER would be the best of his career, 5.5 EWA. So he is on the way up, although um, not really. He, he flashed in the beginning of his rookie year, and we're still kind of waiting for that kind of consistent production. But I think that's more of a team issue than a player issue. What are your thoughts on Kamga? Uh, Kamga has been horrifically utilized and, uh, and put in shitty situations since he has been in the league. 
is he the player that you would have had higher than any than Harmon, West, Williams, any of the other players we've redrafted so far? The player I was thinking of was Evans, just because I think he has the rawest, like the highest ceiling slash franchise potential. I think he's very challenging to build around, which is a point against. Um, but I was very high on Camber in this draft. Yeah. And I have liked Camber a lot ever since. I have made a few cursory attempts to kind of get a sense of where his value was. Um, I really, really like Camber, and I think that he he has suffered not like stupid, not necessarily stupid GMing. Uh, I don't want to be like that aggressive in the comment, but like he's just been put in bad spots like repeatedly playing in the wrong position. And when he finally gets to the right position, they play the wrong position next to him. You know, I think there are, you know, I would love to see him in a front court like the predators have now. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to see him playing the stack house role. Uh, obviously slightly less usage inside, but I'd like, I'd love to see him playing that role on a team that goes fast. Yep, a, a team like that does seven seconds or less or even perimeter or something like that that just needs like someone who like a, a rim runner who could just you know, defend defend the paint, get rebounds and get like tippins and lobins and stuff like that. I think you do very well in that spot. Yep, and that I think that's his ideal role and I don't and you know, that's why I was so bullish on him going to the Skyhawks because with Jamal Johnson they were going to play fast and I'm like great. We can see him at center. They had a lot of wings on that team and we'll see how that goes. And then suddenly he's playing next to fucking, what, being a Holden and, and uh, then Woodley and now Sprinkle, and it's just, no, 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 I don't like it. W and, said, W7 said, oh, being a Holden, my beer. Uh, just, I said, I just, You're going to play right position? Holden, my beer. Uh, I, I said, I just, yeah, it, it, it has annoyed me consistently throughout his career that I just think he's been underutilized. There were two bigs. Um, there were two bigs in this draft who I thought represented in at the higher end of the draft that uh, offered really good value. Um, sorry, there were three bigs I really liked in this class, and I think that two of them went really low. Uh, Camgo is the best of those three, but unfortunately has just been put in a six uh, in a uh, a range of shitty situations. Yeah. In, in the redraft, I have, even though Cam is still on the board, I do have the Renegades taking Isaiah Evans, who is still sitting here at the sixth overall pick. Um, back at this time, the Renegades were still trying to build around Jerome Bradley. They had Rashad Haslam. I think having a point guard like Isaiah Evans, who um, may, there may have been some usage issues in trying to figure that out with Bradley and Evans, but if that would have been balanced, I think that would have been a very interesting team uh, that just really needed some wing support. And obviously, Evans and Haslam long term, I think, would have fit together quite well. Did they um, have done it? Did they have done at that point? They done did. Before? That was pre-injury done when we were all bullish on him, though, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think Evans, Evans, Dunn, Bradley, and Haslam, and you get some cheap, you know, throw in to play, you know, energy four. I think that would have been an interesting build. Yeah, and they, I, I think they had Chapel at that point, if I remember correctly. So, because he was kind of just hanging around there for a while. So that would have been your five and that would have been pretty decent, I think. Um, 
But alas, so we go to the seventh overall pick, and that was the Austin Rockets. They got Zion Jeffries at the seventh overall pick, and um, obviously they would still be happy with that considering we have Jeffries. We had Jeffries as around the fifth player on the board, um, and we've already talked about Jeffries a lot. Who would I have Austin take here in the redraft, though? I would have had them take Donovan Mobley. Um, I think if uh, at that time Austin was kind of a little bit of a clean slate, um, I think Mobley had a has had a and still has a good amount of potential, and I think he would have fit that kind of high flying style that the Rockets wanted to run. Um, I think that probably uh, you could argue Omari Kamga here for the reasons we just discussed, but I think of all the players still on the board now that um, Harmon, Jeffries, Evans, Williams, West, and Hughes are gone. I think Mobley has the best, most potential based on who's on the board here for the Rockets. What would you think about that pick? I think that's fair. And I think Mobley's athleticism would work really well with what the, what, with what Austin wanted to play, which was up tempo. Yep. So I think we could then move on to the team that had the eighth pick and uh, that would be the Nashville stars um, who at that time were kind of going through a period of transition with, fade as their uh general manager um the stars won the uh 2020 jbl championship if i remember correctly before this the uh, thunder won yes. 2021 and 2022 um so they were going through uh i guess some issues would be the best way to put it with their uh, star player to craig i think at that point although it hadn't really blown up um they took jordan timberlake who uh, played pretty well on a Kentucky team. Um, he was never really a, a great shooter, and that was something that always kind of hindered him. Uh, in college at Kentucky, he averaged 12.1 points per game, 6.4 rebounds per game, 4.6, 4.8 assists per game, only 31.7 from beyond the arc. But what was really tr- intriguing about him was a combo guard that was six foot eight and had really nice athleticism and basically the chops to take over. So what happened to Timberlake? Uh, he kind of got bounced around a little bit, um, played all around the court. He did his first year play 100% shooting guard, which was somewhat problematic because he didn't really shoot that well. And then since that time, he's really only, he's not, he's only played uh, 70% or more at shooting guard. Uh, for the last couple of seasons, he's played a lot at small forward with diminishing results. Um, he's never had a PER above 16.7, which he had his third year. And really the last four years, he's been a negative player on the court. So what happened with Jordan Timberlake? Couldn't shoot. Yeah. Couldn't shoot and lack of patience. Lack of patience from, uh, from the uh, general manager. Uh, not, and, you know, not, not Matt necessarily, but just. No, no, I, I just think that, you know, the guy, you know, for me, when, what I found really appealing about Tim Blake in this draft class, and there are aspects that I still find appealing about him, given that I was the one who threw his current contract at him. He is a plus defender. Like, he is still a plus defender. And he has good playmaking for, and ball handling for a two. He was a guy that, for me, his role was shooting guard and backup point guard. That's how I would have used him. And that's how I would have tried to, the role I would have put him in from day one. And I would have taken my lumps on that. Um, you know, I also think there was probably an opportunity, you know, also there was, you know, some times in his early couple of years where he started shooting the ball a hell of a lot, um, which I think immediately should have been mitigated with uh, tendencies because it was clear that he, 
he's a Maury Ball type. Like I can I can live with him taking some threes a game uh, because at least they're a quality shot. But he shouldn't be taking a truckload of shots. And I think there was one year where he got he was using the ball quite a lot from memory. Um, let's open him up. From yeah, memory, though, he, this is from memory. There was one year where I thought his second, usage was his, his second year. He, was, he put up twenty one point seven shots per game. Yeah, and th- like that's just you know he had a twenty eight he had a twenty eight usage in his second year, and then twenty seven in his third. This is a guy who should have probably twenty two. He should be under. He should be he should be basically sitting flat on twenty, like just his share and no more. His his, play, his player type is literally secondary ball handler. Yes. Secondary ball handler. I, I said, secondary. I, I think, <laughs> no, 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 but like he is—he is a guy who is basically an extra. He's—he's he's halfway towards a point guard that you play at shooting guard. He plays really good defense. Let him take some three pointers because if he can hit them at a decent rate, that's relatively efficient, and that's it. I don't see what this is a guy to me who probably never should have taken more than 10, 10 shots per game. And just been a been a really good second ball handler, a really good defender, and there's a role for that. <clears throat> but he was, you know, that that year after, you know, as soon as um, and it started at the it started in two thousand, started at the end of two thousand and twenty three when um, when Craig got moved at the deadline. But from that deadline on till the end of the following year, he was just using the ball at a stupid level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I tend to agree, and I I do you think that he that Timberlake is salvageable now that he has been traded to the Tritons this year? Um, they've been playing him at small forward, which is kind of against what you had just suggested. Um, I think he I think he is probably worth a cheap throw in that when this contract expires at the end of I think he's got an option for thirty twenty thirty. So when that when that when this contract expires eventually, I. I think he would be an interesting person to throw a contract at for like a small amount of money and see if you can use him the right way. If you had an op- if you had the spot on your team. Yeah, he um so he's 24 years old. Um he he has one more year his contract next year and then he has a player option for 2030. If he opts out, he'd be a free agent at 20 at, at 25 years old. Yeah. So like I said I I think that he is probably worth one more good swing if someone paid him like an mle level contract on a short basis on like a two-year basis to test it i wouldn't i would actually probably say that's an interesting move that's worth a de- i would probably give that a that move a tick as long as it was a team that could actually had the opportunity for him to be used the way i think he should be used and that's just my opinion how he should be used but if someone did that then i would probably give it a tick yep and then uh in the redraft I have the stars taking Omari Kamga. Um, basically, for all the reasons we talked about, uh, that he has good potential. The stars at that point, they had Brandon Weir, who they didn't really like and weren't really playing a lot there. Um, so kind of an open spot in their front court. Probably would have fit pretty well there. Yep. No, I think uh, I think that would have been the better pick. Clearly, in hindsight, it's the better pick. Yes. So we move on to the Dallas Predators, who had the ninth overall pick. They took Keon Barber. And in the redraft, I had them taking Keon Barber. Um, I think that uh, Barber, at least at this point, uh, as far as point guards go, and that's what Dallas was really looking for, for a point guard to play next to Stack. And there was some evidence that they did kind of fit together pretty well for 
at least the first season or two. Um, the last season that, uh, that Barber was with the Predators, he seemed to kind of put it together a little bit. He had a .091 win shares per 48, 4.7 win shares, 15.7 PER. Not all-star crazy numbers, but not that bad either. Um, never really shot that well, which I think has been a big hindrance. He, he shot 40% from beyond the arc his rookie year, which got everyone really excited. But he's not really topped that. Um, although in his first year with the Crusaders, after he was dealt by the Vultures, um, he has shot 38.6% from beyond the arc. So, but now Barber is reunited with his butt buddy, Jawan Hughes, on the Crusaders. Um, basically, Munns played contract chicken with uh, Keon Barber when he became a restricted free agent, opted to go with uh, Fisher. Uh, the point guard out of the Vultures. And then, ironically, the Vultures kind of took a uh, a swing on Keon Barber to try to rehabilitate him and uh, get some assets for him. Boston, who had acquired Juwan Hughes at that point, did end up trading the 2028 Tritons first-round pick, um, and, as well as a poo-poo platter of players uh, to the Vultures for Keon Barber. None of those players particularly missed, maybe except Deion Bell, who's kind of a you know wing backup player. Um, so it's basically a first for Barber and Barber on the Crusaders while still not shooting that particularly well. Uh, he's had a little bit of a down year this year, but overall, I think that he still has some potential. What do you think about Keon Barber? Um, look, I liked him. I thought the conversation in year one, when people were going, Oh, he's better than, he's better than Evans based on his, his rookie season was utter idiocy. Was, was that the other Andrew who made that comment or who, who I'm was it? That was that that I, I, it was, there was a, there was a case made by someone that has an affection for advanced stats that was this farcical fucking idiotic concept. Uh, but nevertheless, Barber had an exceptional rookie season uh, declined in year two, kind of plateaued in year three, and then rebounded nicely in uh, in that fourth year, the last year of the rookie deal. But unfortunately, uh, he just got, I, I think he got a little greedy in free agency and Munns uh, was having none of that shit. So look, I think that um, I think that this was the right pick. They, they wanted a point guard to, uh, to serve as the other bookend along with Stackhouse. And I think that was the right play. Um, at the time, um, you know, they didn't really have from memory, they didn't have a wing at that point either or nothing particularly special. Uh, I think they had Kellen Chambers maybe at that point still. Um, but look, you know, there's a case they could have gone a wing, but you know, on the players that you have available on the board in the redraft, uh, there's no wing that I would have rather taken than, um, than Barber. So Given that, I think that's probably the right choice. I think that, maybe, I think that maybe, doesn't require a great deal of further analysis. Yeah, I mean, maybe Demarco Prince. Maybe you know, I mean, that probably be the only. I think that I feel like that would have been a bit of a reach. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll talk about Prince in a moment, but I I think that how this ended up that they likely would have ended up with Barber anyway, and similarly going to the tenth uh, overall team, the Detroit Mustangs went with Marquise Walton. That was considered a, a somewhat of a steal at the time because Walton was actually considered a top five player, if I remember correctly. Um, Walton uh, has been pretty decent, and I have him going in the redraft to Detroit as well. So no change for Dallas, no change for Detroit in my redraft. What do you think about Marquise Walton? Um, I think there are two centers on the board who are better. And who are they? Who are they? You can probably guess. 
Let's play along. You always ask me to play stupid guessing games. You can you can have a shot. Juan Sangalia and Malone. Correct. Yep. See, I know you too. I know you all too well, colluder buddy. Uh, I don't think it was a hard fucking question. Like this wasn't meant to level shit, right? Like it was a pretty easy one. Um, no, I think that uh, I think that Malone has a has a absolutely. I think he has a higher defensive ceiling um, than Walton. Uh, although Walton, I think, has a better offensive ceiling. Um, and the other one is that I, I think Songaila is Songaila is the player I would have taken here. In hindsight, I mean, I I think counterpoint, if you look at Walton's statistics as defensive rating, and maybe a lot of this is playing is a, you know, Josiah Robinson halo effect. Because really, since Robinson's been on the team and started to hit his peak, Walton's defensive rating the last three seasons was 105.6 in 2026, 110.7 in 2027, and 108.9 in 2028. So those are all pretty good numbers, and the Mustangs have had relatively high defensive efficiency ratings over the last three seasons. But again, that might be more of a um, Josiah Robinson, Aaron Honeycutt issue than Walton. I'm going to look that up quick and kind of see where the defensive efficiency falls as it relates to those players. Let's see. Uh, Yep. Robinson leads the way in defensive rating on the team this year at 107.3. JT Barrett and Kelvin Black have better defensive ratings, but Walton comes in fourth, um, a little bit better in Aaron Honey, uh, significantly better in Aaron Honeycutt. Yeah, but he he's you can't compare. You have you can only compare bigs against bigs. So is he the worst of the bigs on that team that plays in the rotation? I think he is. Uh, Mike Morton. Mike Morton's the primary backup, and he's a little bit worse, but he's also okay. a rookie. He's also a he's also a rookie who might even be a little undersized. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. As I said, I think that Walton is a good defender, but not a great defender by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, but it's certainly not. I remember there were some injury concerns uh, that that were had with uh, Walton. If I remember correctly, he's had he's had an injury or two. Yeah, he had um, so he had a stress fracture in his foot in twenty twenty four. Um, then, but then he was relatively injury free. I think it was just that stress fracture was a little bit concerning, but he came back and played well. He's had one or two minor injuries since then, nothing really to write home about. He's been probably consistently what the Mustangs third base, third best player you'd say on this team behind Mm -hmm. Hicks. And, uh, I mean, like, no, I think I think Honey's better than him too. I think he's been the fourth banana. Yeah, I, I think it's. Recent I, I think it's close. I, I think it's close. But I, I, Walton is of of any of a lot of the players we just talked about. Like Barber has had peaks, but has been inconsistent. Cam, you know, for what it is worth, I'm not like being. I'm not actually ragging on Walton. I just think that Songaila and Malone are better. Um, I think based on what you knew at the time, I probably would have preferred Songaila. I certainly wouldn't. I wouldn't have necessarily taken Malone over Walton at that point in time. Yeah, I think. Um, I think though, it's still it's still a pretty good pick. I understand where where you're coming from, and uh, maybe you're not necessarily wrong. It would be interesting to see what this team would look like with Songalia or Malone. Uh, maybe more Songalia than anyone, because I think Songalia. I think Malone can't really play in an up tempo system where Songalia can. So I think if you swapped out Walton for Sangalia, I do wonder what that necessarily would look like. But I do think, um, you know, based on the fact that 
of of these teams. So we've gone through the top ten right now, and uh, Barber no longer on the team that drafted him. Timberlake no longer on the team that drafted him. Jeffrey's no longer on the team that drafted him. Camga, um, the only players who've been on the teams that drafted them out of the top ten are Mobley, West, Williams, and Walton. Everyone else has been shipped out. That's that's forty percent. Like that's probably. I'm not sure how much every other draft, if you looked at, would be. I think it's probably not that. Sure, good. no, sure. I think that's about <laughs> average. But he's he's one of the four. He's not one of the six. Yeah. You know what I'm that's, saying? I'd, yes, I'd rather want to. I'd rather want to. Rather want. I'd rather you know a couple years out, like six years after the draft, still be holding on to the same guy. You know what I mean? And like yep. still seeing him as a useful player than not. I guess is my point. Yep, I think that's fair. All right, so mo- moving on. So the team that picked 11th was, again, the New York Renegades, who we had just talked about having the, uh, the, the sixth overall pick. They now have – they had the 11th <laughs> overall pick. This is the pick that made uh, – this is the pick that made uh, Comey cry at the time. This was – so if you want to talk about sliding doors, so the, the Renegades took Darius Whiteside, who apparently – Comey was in love with and wanted on his team so, so badly. Um, but let's talk about Whiteside quickly and what became of him. I think Whiteside is one of those players where people fell. You know, it's, it's a good story to kind of be careful to fall in love with the guys who have like the great measurables, but who really knows if they could play basketball that well, you know? Um, I think Whiteside, maybe that's a little bit harsh on Whiteside. It's not like he's been a horrible player. It is, just, it is a little harsh. It, it, wasn't ju- it wasn't just measurables. It, from memory, his scouting was like, I think he, like, the intangible start of it was also appealing. Um, and his college stats were good too. It was not just a case of, oh, he's six foot seven, jizz, jizz, jizz. Like, it wasn't quite that bad. But he's, he's one of those guys who's like box creation rate. He's, he's basically Rajon Rondo. You know, his box creation is extremely low, but he would get a, a good amount of garbage assists based on playing with pretty decent players. You know, um, although he did end up eventually on the Knights in 2026 and average 10.8 assists per game, average 15 and 10. But then the Knights dealt him. Uh, so, so let's go in a little more detail about what happened with Whiteside. So, uh, Whiteside was on the Rens. He started for three seasons, and then the he was involved in the trade with Devon Harrell, uh, where the where Rich gave up a bunch of first round picks in Whiteside to the Crusaders. Then the Crusaders, uh, based on a tip from a, from some friendly source, who kind of reminded uh, reminded Calvin that there was once a general manager who was really fond over Whiteside at the twenty twenty three draft. Maybe you can flip Whiteside for additional first. And lo and behold, Whiteside went for Mueller. Uh, and meanwhile, RKG got the point guard he wanted and Matt Mueller, who lasted about half a season before he was burned in the incinerator. Uh, but nevertheless, Whiteside ended up on the Knights and actually played pretty well, I think, in Kelvin Hawes' last hurrah, if I remember correctly, with the, uh, with the, was, that the old man, was that the old man team with Griffin and Grant as well? I believe so. I believe that was the going balls out, you know, and try to win one before kind of blowing it up team, uh, if I remember correctly. It was that 2026 year. So, um, so that's why Whiteside had those really great assists. And then uh, let's see what happened. Uh, the Knights gave him a qualifying offer, and uh, he was traded to the Mexico City Jaguars for the 2030 Renegades first-round pick. 
um, which looks a little less spicy than it does uh, currently because the Renegades, the bottom did not fall out on them. But uh, Comey added another first, nevertheless, for Whiteside, who had kind of fallen out of favor. Um, let's see. And then what happened to, to him next? Then he was dealt to the Phoenix Vultures in a trade for Uman Akili. And then Whiteside was traded again to the New Orleans Hurricanes, where he sits now and he literally does sit because he sprained his ankle on day 149 and is out for the rest of the season. What are your thoughts on Darius Whiteside? Um, look, if he's your point guard and he, if he's the fifth best starter and he's your point guard, I wouldn't be too worried. Yeah. Like, I'm probably a little like, harsh on him, and I'm, I'm really harsh on him on the redraft where you see where he went. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah, you're a bit nasty. Um, like he doesn't turn the ball over much. He does get he, he he'll generate some assists. I know he doesn't create much gravity. His shot has kind of waxed and waned a little bit. Uh, but if you know if you have a, let's say if you had a, oh, as I said, I, I think if he was your if he was your point guard and that, that was your weakest position in your starting lineup, I don't think he'd actively hurt you. He will, he will probably not be a. I don't think long term he'll be a starter, but. I think that, you know, I think within the next next contract he's on, he's probably going to just become a bench backup and he'll probably be an above average backup point guard. Yeah, I mean, from what I remember, everyone was really high on his athleticism. Um, you know, I mean, he, uh, let's see, what did he do in college? Let me just look that up. So in Cincinnati, he averaged 13 points per game, 6.6 assists per game, um, 1.41 steals per game. So I mean, okay numbers, but uh, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of thought the um, the the love for him was a little bit a little bit overstated. I think based on, and it kind of proved to be that point based on the kind of player he's developed into. So who do I have the the uh, Renegades taking instead? I still have them taking a point guard, keeping in mind that uh, even though yes, I understand that they had Isaiah Evans, and I understand that they also at this point had Marcus Dunn. Keep in mind that they also had uh, they they had, they had Bradley and we're kind of trying to pick around him. I thought that they could go for a combo guard here, and I thought that based on the players that would be left, that should be a pretty good fit. So I gave them Eli Custer, uh, who uh, actually lasted up to pick thirty for the Cincinnati Kings, won a championship ring as their starting point guard uh, the last season. Uh, Eli Custer has consistently shot uh, above 39% in four out of the last five seasons. He's a 39% uh, career three-point shooter. Doesn't do a lot of generating assists, 5.5 assists, but he's more of an off-ball shooter anyway. Also a really good defender. Um, has had uh, two defensive win shares or more, uh, or will have two defensive win shares or more in uh, five of his six total seasons. Um, I think you can make an argument that he is the second best point guard prospect in this class behind Keon Barber and uh, third behind Barber and Evans. Look, I think based on what we know about the point guards now, yes, Eli has had the best career. Uh, I would be very hesitant to say that, that uh, I would be, I think it is very hard to divorce Custer from the system in which he played. Uh, there is a fair argument that he might be a system player uh, because to be honest, multiple point guards have looked pretty good in that system. <laughs> Everyone except for the one that he drafted high. Um, and Morgan. No, even DeMorgan was decent at the start of, at the start of this season. Um, so look, I think that uh, Custer is probably, if, they, if, you, if the argument is they absolutely needed to take a point guard, then yes, Custer 
would have been. However, I think he would have also been a massive reach at yeah, that point yeah. in time. So I think if you're New York uh, and you were planning on taking Custer, I think realistically you would have traded down. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's just the other players who are left on the board. So, so this is now um, – and it's interesting because the other play, the other two players you like on the board are still on the board and still on the board in the redraft, but it is getting a little bit darker now. I think now we're kind of out of a little bit more of the sure things, which makes sense because we're out of the lottery. Um, but if you look at this class in my mind, the bottom really doesn't fall out until around out of pick 20. Out of pick, after which you get past pick 20, you're really talking about slim pickings, and the rest of this podcast will go very, very quickly at that point. Um, but before we get there, let's go to the team with the 12th overall pick, which was the Kansas City Knights. And they obtained this pick from the Baltimore Bullets for, as you had said, for the Aaron Honeycutt deal. And uh, the, the Knights drafted Matt Mueller with this 12th overall pick. As a reminder of what really they got out of that Aaron Honeycutt trade, so the Knights traded Honeycutt for essentially Matt Mueller, the 15th overall pick, which became Marco Dujmovic. The 2023 Viper second-round pick, which became Tyrone Jones. The 2023 Warrior second-round pick, which became Joshua Gilmore. And the 2024 Fireballs first-round pick, which became Latavius Morgan. In hindsight, that trade is kind of a disaster, if I'm being honest. What do you think? Uh, yeah, look, I think it's easy to say that, given what the picks went through. But, like, if they, if they had ended up in this draft class with the players they could have gotten in hindsight. I think that would have, you would feel very differently um, for starters. And, you know, I think there was definitely a desire to, you know, that, that he, there was an attitude by Cohen that pairing didn't work and he wanted to break away from that. It's not the worst trade. It's no, not I, the best. And I, I, I said, like, but if in, in your redraft scenario, if, if you knew what you knew now, I'd actually say that could be a very clean win. Well, and I would say this, even putting aside the redrafting scenario, they literally just missed on guys. Like, um, hold on. Bless me. Sneeze. Um, Dominique Harmon went 17th uh, and Quan Sangali went 16th. Instead, if they had just taken Sangali and Harmon, which is easy to say in hindsight, obviously. I'm not saying that they should have had the foresight to do no, this. No, but you, could, you can go one better. You could say they have three picks from now. They have, they have, they have, literally have three picks. So even if you were like, who are the best three players available left? I would argue it's uh, Songela, Harrison, and um, and Harmon. Yeah, I mean, in the in the well, Harmon was already in the redraft. Harmon was taken already. Yes, I know. Um, yeah, but you're but you're right. I mean, they could have they could have taken. I see what you're saying. If they had taken Harrison, Songela, and Harmon. I guess Harrison and Sangali would have fit together quite well because Harrison stretches the floor. Yep. I mean, that would have been a hell of a, you know, rebuild right there. Um, and that's just as part I said, of it. I said, I, I think it's, it's dangerous to evaluate. <clears throat> if, if, and when you, when you talk about, you know, uh, trading for future picks and stuff like that, or trading for picks and then just plugging a name next to it is who they ended up with. I think that's a dangerous way to look at it. I think you also need to look at actually the rest of that class and who was available because I think you need to look at it as like who could they have gotten at those spots? Uh, it's not as simple as just as who they ended up with. Yeah, and I think that's the conversation. That's the conversation we're having. We're giving the nuance to it, right? It, it didn't end up bad because I'm not, even, I'm not blaming Comey. Like, 
I think that those players, where they drafted them, I think a lot of players, a lot of general managers would have taken those same players with the same picks, right? It was really just kind of blind luck a little bit. I think I think the only one I think the only one that is was I think the only one that I found particularly questionable at the time was the Dujmovic pick. See, and that's where I that's where I kind of go differ from you because I was not really in love with Brooks. Uh, I, I thought I thought I thought Brooks as a as a defensively orientated wing to replace Honeycutt was a defendable pick. He wasn't the one I necessarily liked the most at that point of the draft, but that one didn't bother me. The Dujmovic one was the one that I found the somewhat curious because I thought there was a better center on the board and a bit like I thought there were much better players on the board at that point. Well, well, and keep in mind the Knights had Kelvin Hawes still at this point. Yes. So that was the problem with the Dujmovic pick is that where you, you're going to have to give him minutes, he's going to be getting backup minutes, the same starter minutes. And the point was in trading Honeycutt. So the Brooks pick does make sense in that, although Harmon would have been a better player in hindsight. So the Brooks player does make sense. I didn't like the Brooks prospect as much. Like I didn't have him high on like my top prospects personally. Um, but I could see the standpoint of taking kind of a Honeycutt replacement. The Dujmovic pick didn't make sense. And I think the Matt Mueller pick was just, I needed a point guard. He, Comey really thought I was going to get Whiteside. And when Whiteside was gone, he had the next pick, and he just took the next player on the board. I don't think he, I, I don't think, know if he was think, ever really in love with him. I think there was a lot of people who liked Mueller in that draft class. Mueller wasn't going to last much longer. Yeah, but I don't know if Kansas City was one of those teams. I think yeah, look, I, I think that they they decided they needed a point guard and Mueller was next. But I think Mueller was probably gone by 18 worst case kind of thing at that point anyway. Yeah. Because you know that he was a USC player, right? He was. He yes. wasn't getting – I doubt very much that he would have gotten past LA. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, we wouldn't, yeah, he wouldn't have gotten past 18. That's fair. Although that would have that would have been a bad fit too, um, you know, with – it's hard to say he could have played the backup minutes and he could have developed, you know, at a different, on a different pathway that way. So chalk and cheese, hard to compare. Yeah. So, so, I mean, what happened with Matt Mueller, I guess, is that uh, again, didn't really develop a shot was his biggest problem. Of course, now he goes to the Scorpions though, and uh, shoots over 40% from beyond the arc. What's the sample size on that? What? What's the sample size on that? 44 games now. On two point nine shots per game. That's probably better than any of the other short term streaks. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I I remember when when Mike traded for him, I was like, if you get him to shoot, you know, God bless you. And well, he's getting him to shoot, so God bless him. One point seven offensive win shares in a really short period of time. The the, the Scorpions have actually been pretty feisty uh, the last couple of games. Question, interesting question. Read the Scorpions and uh, and Mueller. Um, are we talking about the Mueller pick, or are we still doing the white side pick out of curiosity? Oh, did we? Did I move? Did I? Did I miss? That I, 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 no, I don't think we've kind of lost. I think we've just gone on a, an epic tangent. No, no, no. no I went. I, I went. No, no, no. We, we, we finished. We finished. We finished with the Renegades and giving them Custer. So we moved on to Kansas City, okay, and they cool. took Matt Mueller. Yeah. So we're, okay, we're on. Um, the one thing I do think is interesting in evaluating Matt Mueller. Do you think that Swain? Uh could be. I, I, I genuinely really be, wonder, is that, is that a gravity thing from Swain? I mean, it's only 2.9 uh, shots per game, so maybe that's opening the paint a lot. 
Well, as I said, I just wonder if the fact that they have teams like what what is isn't Swain still shooting some obscene fucking percentage from the field? Uh, let me look. I have the Scorpions open. Let's see what is Swain shooting. Five forty one. That's pretty healthy. Yeah, as a, as a rookie, he's uh, as a, as a, on two pointers, he is shooting five fifty. Um, at sixty one point two percent. Yeah, I, I would argue that it's quite possible that he is creating a tremendous amount of gravity, uh, pulling inside and giving uh, probably Mueller the best shots he's seen in his career. Well, and there's still Bradley on the team too, who's probably pulling some gravity too away and giving Mueller some some nice open looks. So, um, but yeah, but maybe Mueller's career is salvaged on the Scorpions. Maybe they have their point guard that kind of fits. There are some things they're doing that I kind of like what the Scorpions are looking like now. Bodes well for next year, I think. Okay, um, I think that well, they have. So, so in, in the redraft, though, I have the Knights. Considering they traded Aaron Honeycutt, I have them taking Demarco Prince here to get that wing replacement. So, we to talk about Prince a little bit. Um, he's another player who was taken by the Kings as kind of a system fit player. Uh, was a very useful bench player for them. Shot. Uh, he's, he's shooting thirty nine point seven beyond the arc for for his career. A uh, positive defensive player, um, you know, in terms and has always been a positive player on the court. He was dealt to the Colonels this offseason because the Kings couldn't afford him anymore with their cap penalties. Oops. Oops. Uh, wearing the what? Oops. <laughs> I wonder where that contract came from. Oh, that came from you, bidding him up. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the Kings did well because they got back their 2030 first round pick. So the blow up probably happens. Maybe not next. Maybe not next year, but the year after uh, for the Kings. And how's Prince been doing? Uh, he's still been doing quite well in a starting role, shooting uh, 42.6 from beyond the arc. Uh, defensive win share is still 2.1. So he's been a very. Even though the PER stats don't look great, as a player who's supposed to be an off-ball shooter, 16.9% usage, he's shooting efficiently. He's playing good defense. I think he'd be a good pick for the Knights here as a redraftable. I think you need to look at the fact when you when you're evaluating his PER, you need to look at his usage. He's using he's at seventeen percent usage. Like you're not gonna. It's hard to crank a. It's hard to get a really good PER if you're using the ball that little. Yep, and that's where you got to look more at win shares and win shares per forty eight and defensive rating and things like that. Yep, absolutely. But he's doing now. Interesting thing about Prince is he's paid thirteen million this year. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent at twenty four years old. And there are some teams who could use a pretty nice 3 and D wing as a secondary ball handler. So he may get a pretty nice contract this year. Or he might not because it's going to be a very competitive free agency market. There are definitely, there are definitely teams that have uh, expressed an interest in uh, Prince in the past that would uh, have some money. So, yeah. <laughs> who would those teams be, Andrew? Uh, look, I don't want to ruin the surprise. Oh, okay. I'm, so I'm, just saying, do... I'm just saying that there are teams that, like, you know, might want a small shooting guard who have some money and like Prince. Who knows who they could be. So let's move on to the Las Vegas Scorpions, who were the team that I actually ran at the time of this draft. Um, I attained. I've I actually did pretty well, honestly. Um, so this was a pick I acquired from the Los Angeles Fireballs. I think for. I don't even remember how I got this pick, but I got it from the Fireballs in one of the many trades that involved Garrett Q kind of going back and forth between the teams. And um, it was the one year that the Fireballs missed the playoffs. <laughs> so it became a lottery pick, which I didn't really expect. 
I think LaCruz was injured or there was something going on funky with no, that was that weird that was that weird one year jump and then they got Carroll and they went back and had a good run the following year yeah exactly so uh, in any event I, I looked out there I took Jarrell Harrison um, who never played a single uh, I was gonna say single snap but he's not a football player uh, he never took a single shot for the Scorpions because he was dealt in a massive deal uh, to get Isaiah Clarkson from the Houston Lightning. And then he went to the Lightning, and Kyle then complained about Harrison taking long jumpers all the time and not hitting them as a rookie. Like, repeatedly, I remember him complaining about that. Oh, that, and... was, that, was, that, that went on for the entire time he was on the Lightning. And I, I kind of get it. Like, he's... Harrison, until he started hitting those shots, was a player that is, like, designed to t- make people tear their hair out. Yes. So, and that's, and that's what he did. And actually, that's one of his, his player traits is streaky shooter. So, and he certainly played up that way, but uh, he, so he kind of bounced around a little bit. He was dealt in a deal involving Kwan Sangali and the Rockets. Um, the Rockets had him for a cup of coffee before they traded him to the fireballs for the immortal uh, Marco Dijmovic and a couple with three second round picks. And with the fireballs, uh, he fit the seven seconds or less fireballs offense quite, quite well. Uh, last year, he, what? They play pace and space, not seven seconds. Yeah, pace and space, whatever. Same thing. Uh, <laughs> no, they're, they're different things. Like it's, a, it's, a, it's a drop-down box, right? And it has multiple options you can choose from. And I'm pretty confident they are independent options. Okay. So they play an up-tempo, uh, up-tempo yeah, style. That's fine. Better? That's up-tempo fine. style. Can, Better? That's, that creates a bucket in which both fit. That's acceptable. Okay, Continue. I'll put you in a bucket. Uh, <laughs> in, in any event, Jarrell Harrison. Um, so last year was his career year. He averaged 39.8% from beyond the arc, 12.8 points per game, 8.6 rebounds per game. He's pretty much played out how I kind of projected him with the Scorpions. Cause my idea in, in drafting him was to have a really good defender, rebounder and floor spacer next to Grant and to kind of help Francis out. And that was my intent in drafting him before I so selfishly dealt him for Clarkson, a player who did not space the floor. And that turned out horribly. Um, but Harrison, I think now in a good fit with the fireballs has actually played quite well, uh, playing exclusively at the five. Uh, I think pairing off with, um, uh, with, uh, Kenyon Fuller, that's a pretty nice front court for the fireballs. Yeah, no, I think he, he has found a really good home long-term, but you know, if you, if you had looked at him in that, if you had looked at him during that um that light the back end of that lightning era where he was on the lightning before he got traded for what was it was it Song Gala was that part of the Song Gala deal? Yes. Yeah. If you looked at him prior to that, um, and then for the price that he moved from Austin to the Fireballs for, this was a player who I thought was headed towards a bench role at best. Um, and meanwhile, he you know he has found he's just one of those players who struggled to find a good fit. And eventually found that on the fireballs. And for the last two years, I think I voted for him for All Star one of the last two years. Uh, and I think this year, even then, he was a hard out. He was one of the harder to eliminate towards the end. I mean, that's because the West Front Court was fucking a joke. But like, he he has pushed for my. He's pushed. He's pushing All Star at the moment, and has for two seasons. Yeah. Yeah, but in the redraft, I have uh, the Scorpions and RKG taking J.J. Cooper because uh, he went to Villanova, and Cooper ended up on the Scorpions anyway via a draft day trade that we'll talk about a little bit later. 
Um, but Cooper uh, has played quite well after getting some reasonable opportunity. Now he was with the Scorpions and stayed with the Scorpions after I left, but then the Scorpions tore it down around him. Didn't really give him a ton of time and then dealt him to the Crusaders for a lowly second round pick. Uh, this year, Cooper's basically broken out, I think, when given a real opportunity. He's only started 14 games, but he's on the Sixth Man of the Year award. Has a PER of 18.8, uh, 5.5 win shares, a 14.14 uh, win shares per 48. Positive player on the court, um, getting rebounds, uh, basically playing good defense. Uh, I think that had I known, <laughs> if I, had I known kind of player is going to be, probably would have taken Cooper with that pick. Uh, you were you were deeply concerned about the red flag aspect, I believe, at the time. From memory. yes, um, but also I would just wait say one thing: Are you arguing that you would take JJ Cooper as a fit or as the best player? As the as a player who went to Villanova and actually turned out well, Harrison probably would have been the. There pick is here. no way that there is no way on on hindsight that you can argue that Cooper is better than Harrison or Songaila would be my argument. Well, no, it's a it's a it's a homer pick. I, I, I was I, really just, I just want you to admit that it was made purely on fit or, or other bullshit reasons and not uh, and not actual analysis because that makes sense. Cool, we can continue. Well, well look, <laughs> let me just let me just say this, Cooper. When when I when I mock drafted this, there were thirteen players who I really liked. This is back in twenty twenty three that I would have been happy taking at that pick at thirteen, and Cooper was the thirteenth, and I had Harrison ranked above him as like tenth or eleventh. It was really kind of that, and I remember my li- my list had Sangalia, Cooper, and uh, and and Harrison. I ended up going with Harrison because he was the highest on my board. But Cooper ended up on the Scorpions eventually, so we'll get there. Um, but yes, yeah, so let's move on to the next team, and that is Kansas City again. They hey, took- want to do these two together. Yeah, we'll do these two together. We kind of talked about them already. So um, we've already talked about in the redraft, I have the Knights taking Jarrell Harrison and Jordan Timberlake, and we've already talked about these two players. Who they actually took were Dewan Brooks and, Mar- and Marco Dijmovic. So originally the Drones had the 14th overall pick vis-a-vis the trade with the Jaguars, but then uh, the Drones traded the 14th overall pick to the Knights to, uh, to get the 24th overall pick and a 2026 Kansas City first-round pick, which was number 23 and turned into Duran Ellaby. So essentially, this pick became um, 24th pick. Well, and then they traded down again, So and I, and I lost track of where that pick went. But nevertheless, so the, the, drone, the drones traded down. This was originally the drones pick via Mexico City. It went to Kansas City, and they took Dewan Brooks. And the next pick, they took Mark uh, Mario Dijmovic. So let's talk about those two guys. About okay, so I, I thought Brooks was a decent wing prospect coming came coming in. Um, I think at that point of the draft, I probably had three wings in a group that were like the next three. I think there was Brooks, Teague, and Harmon were probably the three that I thought were in play for that pick at the time. Um, I think we know we now. I think the issue, the risk of uh, the risk with Harmon, or the reason why Harmon. I think Harmon slid a little bit from memory. He uh, did. He he. Harmon was ranked in the top ten. That's what I um, thought. And it was he couldn't play defense. That was the concern. He was a little bit undersized and couldn't play defense. Yep. It wasn't a red flag. It wasn't a character red flag. It was purely can't play D, 
and a little small uh, because he was also listed as a small forward and he's 6'5". So I think realistically, I, I, I think that a lot of GMs would have taken either Teague or Brooks. Um, and I think Brooks looked slightly better at that point. In hindsight, I think Teague is better. But I don't think that's an undefendable position. I, I think that's a pretty defendable pick. Yeah. I, I, so, I mean, let's talk about what kind of happened with Brooks. I, I think the issue that happened with him is he was – he actually played pretty well his first year with a 14.9 PER and a 1.6 defensive win share. But then when the Knights tore it down, they tore it down by also trading uh, Dewan Brooks. Uh, actually, I take it back. Dewan Brooks was traded for Derek Griffin, and he was involved in the Derek Griffin deal as the Knights were making their push. So um, Dewan Brooks was on the Knights for a little bit until he was dealt to um, to the Scorpions uh, from, from the Fireballs. So wait, I'm sorry, take it back. So let me rewind again. Okay, because it's, it's hard reading the transaction block. So the Scorpions traded Derek Griffin and in a package obtained Dewan Brooks along with Alexei Davidoff and Montreal Cleveland. Then the Scorpions traded Dewan Brooks, Kiral Richardson, and Jamonte Singleton and a first-round pick to the Fireballs. And um, Dewan Brooks was then on the Fireballs. So Dewan Brooks played on the Fireballs for a couple of seasons and then was eventually traded from the Fireballs to the Devils in the Derek Araguzo deal, which included a first-round pick going back to the Fireballs. And that is where Dewan Brooks resides today. We've talked about Brooks on several podcasts that we would not give any more time for him. Although, to be honest with you, he's actually shot pretty consistently well from beyond the arc. 35.7% three-point shooter, despite moving around a lot. And he's been generally a, a decent defensive player. With the fireballs, he actually had 3.3 defensive win shares in 2026. So maybe there is some value there to be had from Dewan Brooks still, even after he's been moved around like a Moroccan carpet. I think he's a. I think he's a. I think he's a. Look, I think he's where he's at right now. I think he's an above average defensive. I think he's an above average bench wing. Yeah, I mean he's not and, the long term fit for the Devils, but no, absolutely not. That that hasn't worked this year, and, and they're either going to plug they and you know with the money they have and the draft picks they have, they should be looking to get Brooks out of their lineup and their center out of the lineup. Like that's who they should be looking to replace. And I'll be curious to see what they end up looking like at those two spots next year. But if you have Brooks on a contract that is, let's say, $4 million, $5 million maybe, depending on where your, where your cap picture looks like, and he's like, you know, playing, you know, mid-20, you know, low-20s minutes off the bench, uh, I'd be reasonably happy with that. Yeah. yeah. He, he rebounds the ball well. He passes the ball reasonably well. He's not turnover-prone. Uh, he shoots the three ball acceptably, sometimes better than average. And I think so much of that is a product of who are your teammates, what system you're in anyway. Um, yeah, I, I think he is a very useful player, but I, I don't think he's a starter. So then let's let's talk about the uh, next player, and that's Marco Dujmovic. What, poor Marco Dujmovic. He played on the Knights. He um, played uh, next to uh, Hawes. Um, I think Haas played power forward for a good amount of rookie year with uh, Dujmovic at center. And he played three seasons with the Knights, never had a PER above 12. Um, then he was uh, shipped to um, shipped to the Fireballs in a trade that put Derek Griffin from the Knights to the Fireballs. 
Um, and then he was shipped again in the trade that, uh, that put Jarrell Harrison on the fireballs and sent Dujmovic back to the Rockets. Then the Rockets renounced his rights in the 2027 offseason, and he signed an MLE contract with the New Orleans Hurricanes, where he has averaged about uh, just under 15, just under 12 minutes a game, basically, in his, well, not, not, I think 13 minutes a game uh, in his two seasons with the Hurricanes. Um, shooting very well from beyond the arc, but only takes like, you know, 1.4 shots per game. Um, but he makes them half the time, so that's pretty good. And uh, he's not been – he's been a positive performer when he's on the court. Winters per 48 is above 0.1 for his minutes on the court. Is it a lack of opportunity for Dujmovic? Is there still a hope here? I, I think that – I'm not sure I, I – I'm not sure I see him ever being a starting center in this league because of where the league has gone in the, in the years since he was drafted with so many teams going up-tempo – I just don't think that's the kind of league he's designed for. I think he is an above average. I think he is a a player that you could comfortably have as your backup center in a slower paced system who could come on and the team would certainly not be out. The, other, the, the opposition will not blow you away by putting up a lot of points because he is a really good defender. That's it. Yeah. I don't think, and I think he gets. I think he does have some value is to stretch the floor a little bit too. Based on, oh, that. I mean that that's that that for me is bonus. But like for me, it's a case of if you had a really good center on your team, and then he goes to the bench, and you're worried about getting blown up. If he was your backup, there's no a team is not going to come in and take advantage of you in the post. Yeah, and I think there's 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 value in that. Like he deserves a place in the league, uh, whether that be as you know. Centers generally don't play more than 32 minutes because they're big, tiresome gumbies. So if he's coming on your team and playing 15 minutes, you know, 15, 16 minutes a game as your backup center, I'm pretty happy with that. And he probably does have a little, and look, the scouting says he doesn't have a lot more growth in him, but, you know, he's going to play at this level or slightly better, I would say, for another seven years. Yeah, and, he, and he's playing well. I mean, he's been a productive player on the court. So I yes. don't think, you know, he, he's, I think he's certainly worth a further look, you know, as far as other teams go. But um, I, I think he got caught up in the numbers game and where he's gone, and that's probably. But I think it has to be on a slow-paced team. I'm, I'm just not convinced. I mean, he's reasonably athletic for a guy that comically big, but I wouldn't be putting him on a fast-paced team. Come on down to Pittsburgh, Marco. We got we like him slow down here. The team he's on is a the team he's on as I think they're playing balance now is probably not far off. Yep. All right, so um, let's move on to the 16th overall pick because I had mentioned that the two players they took there or would have taken there are um, Jarrell Harrison and Jordan Timberlake. We've already covered that leaves Quan Sangalia at 17 for Austin, and you probably think that's too low for him even here in this redraft. I do have him going, Quan Sangalia, again to Austin with the 17th overall pick in the redraft. Um, I think I think I think Sangalia is better than every player you've uh, selected in this mock draft. Undisputably better since pick 10. Ah, thank you. There we go. That's the kind of content I want. I respectfully disagree, sir. But you can you can lay out your argument about Quan. I think Quan is better than Walton, Custer, Prince, Cooper, Harrison, and Timberlake. Well, stats would seem to support your argument. <laughs> would they? Crazy, so, right? 
So, so uh, let's talk a little bit about Quan's career. So he was drafted by the Rockets. Um, he lasted two seasons there, um, put up 14.6 PER his first year, 15.2 his second year, and was up to 16.3 his third year before he was traded to the Lightning in a trade that uh, the Lightning sent uh, Kellen Chambers, Darrell Harrison, DeAndre Bowie, and Aaron Gale in the 2027 Viper second round pick. Raquan Sangalia, Cameron Nix, Zach McRae, and Andrew Brimhall. And after uh, Houston went to, after Sangalia went to Houston, of course, they eventually got, um, uh, they drafted some decent players like Marcus Price. And Sangalia played quite well. He had an 18.5 PER his first full year at the Lightning, or uh, in the 17, point, 17 PER, second full year, 19.5 PER, his third full year. And he actually, acquitted himself quite well as a, as a strong player has not made any all-star teams or anything like that. Um, he was then traded though this year as Houston tore apart their team. Uh, he has been traded to Minneapolis uh, for Dalian Slay uh, in, in a package. So now Quan Sangalia is the starting center for the Minneapolis blizzards. And how do you like his trajectory on that team? I think he's a really good fit. I think he is, he's a highly athletic center, so I, I think he's des- destined to be in an up-tempo system. Uh, I think he's playing well at, at... I think he's playing on the whole quite well at... Um, sorry, quite well at uh, the Blizzards. I think the issue is that his usage is too low, but that's something... You know, I, I would argue you could probably slice a nice five off um, Mobley's usage and just drop it on some gala, and I'd be much happier. I mean, he's played quite well. I, I do think that he's probably even gotten the shaft in my redraft a little bit. I think yes, some of that was has. basically team needs a bit. Um, like the, the reason is I didn't have Kansas City taking a center at 12, 14, or 15 because they had Kelvin Haas. So that's part of the reason. And Las Vegas was in there. So, I mean, that, that's why he's been skipped over a couple of times. But I do, gen- I do agree with you. And also with New York at 11, they had Rashad Haslam. So that makes I sense. Wouldn't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have. I. I. I'm, I'm. I'm ignoring the fit component. I think he was in play for Detroit at ten. I think he should have been in play uh, for Vegas. Uh, if Vegas, if you're willing to take Harrison, I think you should have been willing to take Songela. Uh, I think he was in play. I, I think as it. I think he's. I look. We all know that fit was what got him pushed him down. But I, I still think in hindsight that people would look, feel differently about the, uh, the fit issue versus what he actually became. Well, and overall, I think what this tells you about this class is this class was loaded with bigs. It really so was. Good, there are so many good bigs going deep into the 20s. Yeah, because even in the redraft, I found it hard to find a real nice fit for, for Sangalia and the other big that's still on the board who goes for two more picks later, which I'm sure you really don't like, but I have reasons for that. So uh, moving on with the 17th pick, the Atlanta Devils, they, Dominic Harmon fell into their laps, which turned into a great deal. He's gone, and in the redraft, I have them going with Deron Jameson as a point guard. Uh, he, <laughs> I like the reaction. Keep in mind, the Devils had Taquan Slattery at this point, and they, what they really needed was kind of a point guard uh, based on how their team was constructed at that time. Didn't they end up with ja- uh, Jamison in short order anyway? They did. They ended up with Jamison a little bit later in the draft with the 27th ah, overall pick. What happens when you don't read down? Okay, yep. I don't think this one requires a great deal of conversation. That that pick makes sense. He was the next 
best point guard on the board at the time. Well, and Jameson's played well. I mean, he had a 16.6 PER his rookie year, 17.9 his second year, 17.7 his third year. So he played quite well. He didn't make any um, all-rookie teams. Did but, you consider- um, his Sorry. issue – no, go ahead. No, no, you finish your thought first. He, his I issue was really shooting, uh, shooting issues. Um, he never really got a full start with the Devils, which is somewhat interesting, even though he was a first-round pick and played well in limited minutes. I think with the Tritons, we were screaming for him to start over. Um, who was who the shitty point guard that they were playing for some period of time? A Hood, Hood. Uh, who was horrible. We were screaming for Jamison to get minutes over Hood, and that just did not happen. Um, and now he's on the Jailbirds, and again – I mean, he's played like shit on the Jailbirds, but only in um, 29 minutes per game in a backup role. Um, did you consider Mueller here? Um, I did, but I thought that Jay – I mean, if you took out what Mueller has been doing in Las, Ve- in Las Vegas on a relatively short sample size when I put this together, that's why I didn't have Mueller here. I had Jameson here. Yeah, I think, I think Mueller at the time would have gone – like at, at the time, I think if, the, if everything had played out like it has to date on this draft, I think that Mueller would have gone over Jamison. But I, I don't dispute that Jamison probably has a nicer statistical profile at this point in smaller roles. Yeah. I mean, at the time when I, I put this list together, I think about a um, week and a half ago, and that was when Mueller had only played like 15 or 20 games with the Scorpions. Um, it, it was impressive, but it was too short of a sample size. Now, in hindsight, after seeing Mueller hold it up for 44 games, that glimmer of hope makes me think that Mueller might actually be better than what his career had shown him to be. But nevertheless, say la vie. Um, Fair enough. So moving on, the Los Angeles Fireballs had the uh, 18th overall pick, and they went with Kareem Teague, and I have them staying with Kareem Teague at this pick. Yep, I don't think there's a better wing on the board uh, based on the way the redrafts played, so I think that's probably the right pick. Yep, and um, Teague has been above average, you know, PER, average PER around 14. Uh, he's now on the Huskies on a reserve role and uh, playing quite well as a defensive wing off the bench, so he's actually shown some value there. So I think, again, we're talking about the 18th overall pick. I don't think that's a, bar, a bad place for him. Nope. I think if you're getting a valuable rotation member at this point, you're happy. Uh, let's see. So Baltimore, um, Baltimore had the 19th overall pick and Derek Malone fell into their laps, which is a pick I liked a lot at the time. He's played pretty well and he, the bullets would still take Derek Malone if he was still here at this pick. What are your thoughts about Uh, Mr. Malone? I don't make the, I don't win the championship without that pick. Interesting. Go ahead. Why, why do you why do you feel that? Oh, way? I think because because having Clarkson with Malone backing him up went, meant that I could, I never had to abuse Clarkson in terms of the minutes, uh, because basically the team was defensively basically as good with Malone as it was with Clarkson, and it was that way the whole way through when I had the period of time when I had both of them. So, uh, I was lucky because I obviously got Malone before I got Clarkson, so I was able to pump some time into him. Uh, to help his development along. And then he kind of settled back into a backup role behind Clarkson. And I knew that center was covered. Unless I had, you know, a double debt. Unless I had two injuries back to back, I was covered at that position. I never had to worry about it. Um, yeah. And that, um, that, it, was that, that it was the depth that, like, that is that, that was premium depth for a very cheap price. 
And you eventually trade Malone and got a first-round pick that looks like it won't be a lottery pick, but it will probably be in the top 20. The Colonel's first-round pick, and then I think it was pretty much a win-win because the biggest weakness that the Colonel's team had this year was, in my mind, was backup front court. And Malone came in and has a 21.4 PER and 0.181 win shares per 48, uh, averaging um, 17.6 minutes off the bench uh, for Cheetos when Cheetos needs relief. So Malone has played really well for the Colonel's, even in a similar role as he had with the Bullets. Yeah, no, I, I said I. I... You know, I, I'm very happy with how it ended with Malone. I drafted him. He was a key part of a championship team, and I've ended up trading him out for largely the same price that I drafted him for. So that feels about right to me. Yeah. So now we're kind of at we're at the 20th overall pick, and in my mind, the the quality kind of falls off really, really hard. Um, let me just run through the picks and then I'll run through the re- the who I have in the redraftables and see if there's anyone we want to talk about that we haven't talked about already. So um, at 20, the, the St. Louis Skyhawks took Arya Jaye um, in the redraft. I'd have them taking Deshaun Hawkins in yeah. Las Vegas. Uh, the, with the 21st overall pick, the Scorpions took J.J. Cooper in the redraft. I have them taking Sava Vulicic, um, to which uh, we, we'll take – well, I'll go through this, and then we'll talk about the trade that I want to talk about, and you can make fun of me. Um, Cincinnati took DeMarco Prince with the 22nd overall pick, and I would have them taking Keon Perkins in the redraft. Oakland took Lorenzen Towns in the draft. I would have them taking Trent Buchanan in the redraft. Charlotte took Trent Buchanan in the actual draft with the 24th pick. I would have them take Matt Mueller with the 24th overall pick. New Orleans took DeMar Wilson with the 25th overall pick. I would have them take Kyle Rose with the 25th overall pick. Mexico City took Quante Coleman with the 26th overall pick. I would have them taking Dewan Brooks with that pick. Atlanta took Deron Jameson with the 27th overall pick. I would have them take Jackson Farrier in the redraft. Miami took Deshaun Hawkins with the 28th overall pick. I would have them take Justin Moore instead. Mexico City took Justin Moore with the 29th overall pick. I would have them take Marco Dujmovic. And Cincinnati took Eli Custer with the 30th overall pick. I would have them taking Darius Whiteside. So generally those are all rotation players. Is there anyone there that you feel like you'd want that we want to spend some time talking about in general? No, look, I think that's probably the right group of guys. Um, I definitely think that Hawkins is the best of all of those players. Um, I might make an argument with you that White's Whiteside as a backup point guard might have a little bit more value than some of those players. Um, and I might argue that Brooks, I think, would probably go ahead of Rose for me. Um, Buchanan has probably proved it a little bit more consistently than Perkins has in multiple stops, just because of longer... I, I just probably had a little bit more time. He's played a little bit more time at different places. Um, so there'd be a case there. But apart from that, I think that's probably the right group of guys. Yeah, I mean, from Hawkins' perspective, so he's had a pretty interesting career because he was drafted relatively low. He played on that UConn team with Mobley that won the national championship. Hawkins, again, I think was projected to be a, a pretty good big, but there was just a lot of bigs in this class, and that's why he slipped to pick 28. He started a good amount of games his first three seasons with the Cyclones, including uh, 2025 when he had a 14.4 PER. But then what happened was the Cyclones drafted Davin Whiting, and there were some injury issues with Hawkins. Specifically, 
he had a stress fracture in his foot that he suffered early in the 2026 season that had him out for 150 76 days, basically the entire season. So he missed the whole season, and that kind of took him out of the rotation because Davin Whiting played pretty well. Um, and they also had another center that they actually liked, and they played a lot pretty well. But Hawkins won the job back this year in 2028, and he's played quite well. Um, he's averaging well, – He's one, been exceptional this year. Yeah, 12.1 points per game, 10.2 rebounds per game. So he's averaging a double-double, 16.4 PER, 4.3 defensive win shares. Is he on the uh, Defensive Player of the Year award board? Uh, I'm not sure, but I'll open it up. Give me a sec. He is, he is, in, oh, he is, yeah. Yep. He's right now behind Walcott and Stone, if these are ranked in order. So he's on the Defensive Player of the Year leaderboard. So And he's doing all that with the comically low usage as well, which is healthy on that team, given that they had other big names. Yeah. So, I mean, I have him going after Malone, just to give you an idea of how, of how many bigs there were in this draft. Hawkins, Malone, Sangalia, Harrison, uh, Cooper you could throw in there, Walton, Kamga. Um, all bigs, all bigs in this top 20. You couldn't go wrong, really, if you took it a might, big. It, might be, the, it might be the best big man draft that I it certainly it, it must be the best big man draft since we started up again in 2019. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, Dujmovic is the only one that didn't really work out, like, and that's why Kansas City just had a little bit of bad luck because if they had taken maybe any other player in Dujmovic, and, and Dujmovic still may have some potential. Um, if he's going to the uh, going to the right the right team, um, so I want to talk about uh, this one trade, and then we can give some closing thoughts, and then we can kind of wrap it up. So now you can make fun of me, uh, and let me give some background behind this trade. So I really I really let love JJ. Let me, let me argue in advance how this won't make me. This doesn't make me look quite as bad as it seems to initially. This this may have been one of the worst trades I ever made as a as a uh, JBL general manager. It's a, it's a preemptive defense also why you should never listen to me so I really had the hots for JJ Cooper I was going to I had him locked in uh, on the 13th pick until we had workouts and he had some really bad personality stuff but JJ Cooper was ranked as like a top 15 player so but other people saw the same issues and he kept dropping and dropping and dropping I had the 25th overall pick from another trade I also had Kai Navagato, who was going to be an unrestricted free agent next year, and I was worried he was go the next year, and I was worried he's going to get paid a lot of money because he was a bench player behind Griffin and Francis. So I uh, I reached out to Reggie because uh, Oakland was at the twenty third pick, and I thought he was a pretty good bet to take JJ, and he basically held me over a barrel mercilessly, and because um, I tried to get another pick or another first row for him along with the 23rd pick for Navigado, and he just refused. And he was on the clock, and I relented, and I agreed to the deal. So I traded Kai Navigado to move up two spots from 25 to 23 to take J.J. Cooper. I was wondering going into this, because I actually had a quick glance at this when you said you were going to do it before you sent me the prep, and I thought I remembered how this played out but I couldn't quite remember the details. And I, 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 I am impressed that you had the balls to say on air that you did something that stupid. Well done. It was very <laughs> dumb. Uh, and uh, let's, let's hope I've learned my mistake. I don't think I've made a worse to be trade. Fair, to be fair, everyone, um, a lot of teams gave up on Navigato early. 
um, or used him to get better. I wouldn't say I gave up on him, but I, I think I got a good. I, I think I got a fairly solid return for him. But at the same time, like I don't think any of the people who held Navigado early in his career expected him to get this good. Yeah, I, I, I think I didn't think his ceiling was going to be that obviously, um, but that's why you give players minutes. And then uh, I think one more point, and then we'll get to kind of our final wrap up points that I kind of wanted to say as an exercise. So, because I've had um, I've had several, I've talked with several general managers, you know, in, in channel and private message about, you know, well, why do you think? And it came about uh, around your uh, Lamont Woodson deal. And as, and, and as well as some other recent transactions about, like, you're telling me on the pod, I should play this player, but his ratings suck. Why should I play this player at all? Well, I just wanted to go through this exercise as it relates to the 2023 draft. So, and, and admittedly, the scouting fog has changed significantly since the 2023 draft. So it's kind of a little bit apples to oranges. But I think the general point still holds, I'm going to tell you. So shortly after the, the day after the draft, the 2023 draft, when the players ended up on the rosters and you got to see their unfiltered scouting for the first time, um, Andrew, the Kings owner, put in Slack a list of, based on his formula and based on the overall ratings, who had the best overall initial ratings of the rookies from that 2023 class, okay? And I'll just go through some of the, the highlights. So the number one player with the best ratings was DeMarco Prince. The second best player was Tyrone Jones, who uh, you, good luck trying to find him now and where he ended up. Followed by Juwan Hughes, Raphael Williams, Zion Jeffries, Donovan Mobley, then Arya Jaye, DeMar Wilson, Isaiah Evans, Amori Kamga, and the immortal DeAndre Bowie. Um, I could go through the whole list. He ranked all like 60 players. But those are the top 10. Now, there are some players in that top 10 that, of course, turned out quite well, like Hughes, Williams, Jeffries, Mobley, et cetera. Then there are some like Tyrone Jones, Arya Jaye, Damar Wilson, and DeAndre Bowie, who have bounced around or have been outright cuts. Meanwhile, number 27 on this list by initial ratings was Xavion West. Number 26 was Dominic Harmon. Keep going down even lower at 37 is Quan Sangalia. Um, the point is, is that this was based on initial ratings. Don't judge everything based on the ratings. I mean, if look at the college stats, look at the kind of player the person is, look at the kind of role he's supposed to play and give him time and see how he fits. Because I think if you just look at ratings, ratings are important, don't get me wrong, but they're one piece. And I think that you can make mistakes and undervalue your players based looking just solely on the ratings. Any thoughts on that, Andrew? No, I, I agree entirely. Like, it's you cannot, like, you, you'll get a, you have situations, sometimes, and this is obviously a farcical example, where you might get a player who came out and is in, like, has a top 10 rank from the scouting services, basically led their, led their, you know, value, highly, you know, touted conference in college in scoring, was a part of a team that went on an Elite Eight run was probably the best player on that team. They had a massive win share per 48 number, stupidly good PER. And then they start sliding just because like they have like two bad ratings. And it's just like, for Christ's sake, like this is, this cannot be the only thing that you look at to evaluate. Like there are things, there are certain ratings that scare me off. I must admit quite a lot. Um, you know, like perimeter D worries me a little bit. 
Um, if they're completely defensively hapless, I, I'll, I'll downgrade someone because that's just uh, one side of the ball versus the other. But, like, if there's evidence that they could play college defense and, like, had a good D rating on a team that was, you know, if they led their team average in D rating when they were in college and got some steals and some blocks if they were a big man and stuff like that, like, don't go overboard. Like, it's they are – you cannot have the scouting being 80% of your evaluation. Like, it's just – it's too heavily weighted if you're doing that. Yeah, and I think I'll uh, I'll close it out saying that kind of my my winners on this draft are the Cincinnati Kings. Uh, they got two role players that really kind of helped them win a championship. Can't really complain there. Uh, I think the Bullets uh, did a pretty good job with Evans and with getting Malone. I mean, you just said you wouldn't win a championship without Malone, and Evans led you to the deal that got Souter. Uh, the Devils getting Dominique Harmon at the 17th overall pick and Theron Jameson, who's turned out at least on paper to be a pretty decent point guard. They did a pretty good job winning this draft. Um, I mean, unfortunately, the, the only loser that really sticks out to me is Kansas City and more out of circumstance out of what happened with their picks. I also do think even though uh, DG did a good job with Charlotte and turned them around quite quickly, I think DG actually won general manager of the year the following season. I do think they, they, they gave up a, a franchise player in, in Juwan Hughes and what they get what they got back really kind of set them on this on the trajectory where they're kind of blowing it up again right now after not really having a strong window of contention um, follow in their initial build following this trade. Yeah, I think that's fair. So so I, I think we did a pretty good job. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, post, uh, I'll post the redraft list and channel if anyone wants to go over it. But I think in general, this was a it – was, it, it was an interesting draft. It was more talented than 2022. It was absolutely loaded in bigs. And um, I think that a lot of these players actually turned out to be pretty decent, uh, if not – maybe not elite – uh, franchise-changing talents other than maybe Hughes and, and Evans and, and West to a certain extent, but a lot of very solid above-average players. Yep, I, I could say. It was, it was a, no, no, it was, a really strong, it was a really strong draft, particularly for bigs. It had a few high-end players. I don't think Hughes or Evans have quite hit the levels we thought they would at that point in time. Or, or, or achieve that balance of individual success and team success um, today. Um, but, you know, there's been, a, particularly amongst the bigs, there's been a lot of guys who went very late who have been, have had really strong careers today. Um, you know, it, 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 is the 25 one the good, is 24 the good draft or is it that a bad one? Uh, I think 24 is okay. I think the bottom kind of falls on 24. 25 is looking like a pretty good draft at this point. 25 is the one you really want to do this for, right? Uh, I'm really excited for 2025. I thought so. so. Um, okay. well, I, I you you shouldn't be because I, I, traded, I traded a bunch of picks to get a guy I would have gotten anyway. So, you, don't, you, know. you don't know that for sure, Mike. Just tell you, you keep telling yourself that. You don't know you would have got Lane for sure. I, I will keep telling myself that. But, you know, if I'd uh, ended up with the pick above you, I would have actually like taken Lane and held him for ransom, right? Like, I really thought about that. I mean, that no, was like, a motivating but I, but like, to you. I, but I, I know you. I know you. I know that was the discussion when we had the trade. It was like, if you don't, if you don't trade this, Lane could go first. If I trade him to someone else, no, no, I would have held the pick and done it personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's. So, so you're the second owner to hold the second general manager to hold me over a barrel, basically. So, uh-huh. following Kai Navigato. 
uh kind of a got out of the flight that, that's a good place to end it so we'll we'll be coming back on friday i think uh Kamish is going to join us which will be an exciting little homecoming so we haven't had him on i feel like in over a month real time it's gonna fuck our rhythm up completely but it'll be good to have <laughs> it'll be fun i'm excited <laughs> so, so um uh, so yes, uh, the one on Friday will be uh, two part. Basically, uh, it will be a relatively long episode, I would imagine, uh, because it will be the playoff preview uh, for the front half, and then in the back half we will look at the of the remaining seven teams that did not make the play. We will do the season review for the seven teams uh, that missed the playoffs that we have not already covered. Yeah, we'll need at least forty five minutes for Houston and Boston, so we got to put that aside. But maybe we should leave them for last and let Commissioner escape so he doesn't have to cop, that, <laughs> cop any kind of responsibility or association for the bloodbath that will occur. Uh, so I think that's about it. Uh, thank you for listening, folks. Uh, thank you for putting this together, Mike. This was a fun episode. Uh, and uh, hopefully we can uh, look at doing number tw- uh, 2024 or 25 in the near future. Sounds good. All right. Have a good night, everyone. Talk to you all soon. Catch up.